Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by LegitMTG.com. Strategy, streams, and singles, LegitMTG has it all. Oh yeah, and now us. So check us out every Friday on LegitMTG.com and stop back every weekday for more great Magic the Gathering content and product. I wonder who my competition tonight gonna be. I know it ain't gonna be nobody up in here. Stay up in here. Stay up in here. Magnetic. F14. W. Organized campaign, I'm on my third route The album just dropped, I'm trying to get the word out Superhero theme music, Ron Sleek walking, snoring The less rails for what was recorded My first stop was Sway in the morning Was written by Heather B. Toto was a fan since the real world on MTV now I MC, five fingers of death, couldn't chin check me. Not before I had to get bars right, rehearsing. Was asked about my upbringing, how long I've been working. And Sway's hair rap, look bigger hand person. Was rhyming like it was a wake up show. Homie tough, I got raps for days. Gotta say something for Tony Touch. My phone is gone, sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm busy traveling, making my rounds. I sat down next on the schedule was static selector, show already, yo. Hey everybody, welcome back to Yo M. TG Taps. I'm Big Head Joe. And I'm Stephen Marshall. And, we- and I'm Jeff Zandy. Yes! We are joined Ooh. by Jeff Zandy! Uh, you all know Jeff by now. He's been on the show a bunch of times, which is awesome! And we're really happy to have him this week because we just played in the Hunter Burton Memorial Open and Star City Games Super IQ presented by Star City Games and Miniature Exchange, right? <laughs> did I get it all? Did you I did. You, you got it all. Everybody. Fantastic. Um, and Jeff ran that tournament. It was a huge success. I want you to tell me a little bit about the the day before uh, Stephen and I talk about our individual performances in the event. Good. Well, we were thrilled to, uh, you know, I feel like knock it out of the park with um, with a big new attendance number, we had 245. We were proud of last year's 157 and 169 the year before that, but we were really trying to move the needle and get more players out. It's it's amazing that our sponsors, uh, Hunter's mother and father, they're our backers, and the the uh, they do put pressure on me to for the to try to make the event bigger and better every year right. but it's it's a, it's great to have backers who are they're not interested in uh, they're not so interested in trying to make the tournament profitable which is not very easy with magic tournaments but they want more people every year and that's what they see that's what they that's what that's their measurement of success and um, so, you know, so we had a very successful tournament where they were concerned. And um, frankly, it just it felt more like a big shot tournament with 245 players, 11 judges. And um, we've been we've been thrilled in the in the first two years to have a top notch top eight that really looked really looked great with uh, names that mean a lot in the Texas area. And we did it again this year. Uh, with um, our champion Zach Elsick, yeah. just won Grand Prix Oklahoma, and I know that I know that uh, he ran into. Did he run? Did he? Did you play him? 
No. Or did Steven play him? No, no, neither one of us played him. Um, but he did wind up playing Matt Banks in the top eight, who, uh, right. who Steven wound up losing to uh, in the last round. So it was. It would have been Steven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It but it's great. We Steven. had Zach Elsick win, and, and he's a Grand Prix champion, and that's, you know, he's got some good bona fides. Second place was a hot shot kid, used to live in Austin, and he uh, came up here to finish his. Um, finishes college program and i believe he might have a master's already and might be going into medicine jib zaidi he um, finished second um top eight also included players that we know around like texas guild mage brian hine and matthew banks is a talented young person and um and but most of all uh robert bernie who uh two years ago won the he had quite a streak two years ago in the spring playing with um, playing with rats uh, in a mono black deck. He uh, he won the he won our tournament the first Hunter Burton. Then he won Grand Prix Albuquerque two weeks later, and he won a last of the real PTQs uh, in that sweep also. And he won a Star City Games one K. Um, he, he had quite a month or so. So he's the first one then. Right? Exactly. First person to get his name on the trophy two times. Nice. Tro- we put the, we put the entire top eight uh, etch their names on the trophy each year. The trophy, which will for the next month live at Zach Elsick's house. We, we do that whenever it's logistically possible for the champion, and then uh, then we'll pick it up from him so we can put the names on it, and then and then that trophy will move around to various stores in the area until next year when it's time to play again. It's great. It's great. Uh, very cool. It was a very fun experience. Yeah, it felt like a big deal. You know, it really did. It felt like a big deal tournament needing to pull back the, the false wall and add in more tables. That's always right. a good sign. Uh, that always feels real good. Um, you know, eventually uh, having to sit back at those tables isn't the best feeling in the world. But hey, what can you do? And um, right. uh, but still, like just being able to uh, to be in that in that room and and to play among all these uh, these names and just to see people in in there just really giving it their all for this for this cause. Uh, it's just. Super great, just really great to see. Right. Well, let me let me uh, two more points I'd like to make yes. is that you know I would be super remiss. Of course, uh, you know we got got a lot of love for everybody that came out, everybody that thought about coming out but had a problem at the last minute. It was it was a wonderful turnout, and you could just it's the tournament has a great vibe. The players are, uh, um, you know, it just it has a little bit different feel. Um, than a lot of other tournaments because we're remembering Hunter Burton, a uh, really one of Texas' very best Magic players, most successful Magic players ever, with his famous uh, semifinals appearance, semifinals loss to Brian Kibler at Pro Tour Austin in 2009, and a lot of other good uh, finishes, including a pair of Grand Prix top eights. But um, uh, Hunter took his life. Uh, back in um, uh, 2013, and um, his parents approached me soon thereafter about whether we could create a memorial tournament in his memory, and that's what we did. And uh, this event um, benefits 
some of the proceeds go to the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, that was a topic they didn't really want to talk very much about that first year after it happened, uh, understandably so. Right. But um, uh, it's been really good for the magic community of Texas and, and further to um, to have uh, – to have a cause, you know, and have a reason to talk about, you know, one of those things that people don't like to talk about very much, but that it's really healthy to, uh, you know, it's really healthy to examine and to take something out of the shadows a little bit that yeah. that people, you know, typically run away from. The bottom line is people go to a magic tournament to win prizes, so we have a bunch of prizes, but... um even though we're even though we're handing out the big serious dollar bills at the end of the day and have trophies and other cool prizes, you still get a really nice, uh, different uh, feeling from this tournament because there's just you know there's just a little bit more going on than just the typical uh, than just the typical magic tournament. And and then one other thing, um, you know, we always want to have some funny side events. Uh, this year, one was. Uh, reenactment of Pro Tour 1's Top 8. Pro Tour New York 1996 was 20 years ago, so kind of all year we're commemorating the 20th anniversary of the Pro Tour, the thing that, you know, the thing that locked me into magic more than anything else was the creation of the Pro Tour 20 years ago. And in that reenactment, we uh, we sign up some players and we randomly give them one of the decks from the Top 8, except for one guy, we uh, happen to have as a VIP uh, one of the persons who actually was in the top eight of Pro Tour New York 1996, George Baxter, who was well-known around here because he wrote some of the first, uh, definitely the very first uh, print books on how to play Magic better. And he, he was doing that before the Pro Tour started, even. Uh, he was, um, you know... a legendary player in the area and really in the early days of the pro tour he's one of the top guys and um uh he was excited to come out and play in this side event and then stick around so that he could hand the trophy to the winner at the end and you know that's that's uh texas first pro player handing the trophy to maybe to zach elsick maybe maybe zach is the next you know big shot magic player for a long time with a grand prix win and and uh, and other wins. Uh, George Baxter stays. Um, you know, he's not a cocky guy. Uh, he went on. He became an attorney, and now he's uh, um, he's do- doing things now more in the financial business realm. But um, he's a humble guy, and he keeps his feet on the ground, uh, which is good because uh, Zach uh, Elsick contacted me on Facebook um, a couple of hours after the tournament. And he said, "Hey, can you send me a picture?" of that guy handing me the trophy. What was his name again? Um, Zach, that's <laughs> George Baxter, man. Good Lord. He's a pro tour legend. <laughs> but it was uh, great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it was really cool that um, that he that he showed up, and uh, I had never met him before, so it was nice to meet him. Um, yeah, and, and speaking of side events, uh, because I had... Not such a hot performance. I got to play in one of your wacky side events. Uh, but anyway, let me just, I'm going to briefly uh, go over my cameo appearance in the uh, main event and then, um, and then just talk about the side event I played in before Steven tells us about his, you know, I'd say a successful day, but, you know, still 
just shy of making that top eight. So I played Mono Green Ramp, and I've given the reasons why a hundred times before on this podcast. But just in case you haven't heard this podcast before, welcome. Sorry you just joined a podcast that is ending in five weeks. Uh, I played Mono Green Ramp because it was the first constructed deck I had ever built for myself, and I wanted it to be the last constructed deck I ever built as an active player. So I built Mono Green Ramp. I didn't want to get into that green-red business and mess up my good time with trying to get two colors, even though I was playing Wastes. Whatever. I went a little more onto the uh, spell ramp than creature ramp, so I was uh, a little... Uh, more resilient against sweepers. Um, I went with reality smashers in the deck because I wanted to uh, have a little more business, and that actually did wind up being pretty awesome at times. Um, but uh, I wound up going one and three before I dropped, and the deck played out pretty much exactly how I expected it to play out. Um, I've played these re- green ramp decks many times over the years, and here's what happens. Sometimes you draw all of your bombs and none of your ramp. Sometimes you draw all of your ramp and none of your bombs. Sometimes you draw a nice mix of ramp spells with one bomb and then someone casts a selectable discard spell and takes your bomb from you. Uh, Or sometimes they just cast infinite obliteration and Yahtzee it and you've got it in your hand and then they get the rest of them. And that's how that goes too. So, um... Pretty much played out exactly like that. Although I gotta say, like the one turn where, the one game where I uh, I cast an, an Ulamog, I sacrificed both my Sanctums of Ugin to search up a Worldbreaker and a Reality Smasher, and then I was like, well, you know, they they had something going on, and I was like, okay, uh, just cast my Reality Smasher and kill you because it was just like I could have taken them to like two life. But having the Reality Smasher just let me drop a hasty creature and swing in for lethal and destroy them. So, you know, so the deck played out the way I wanted it to play. Um, I wasn't necessarily expecting to win the whole tournament with that deck. But the thrill of playing a ramp deck is in the moments when it all comes together. And I had at least one of those moments, which was really nice. Uh, wish I could have, wish I could have had a couple more. Um, wish Transgress the Mind uh, what and Infinite Obliteration weren't such actual good cards in the format and weren't so <laughs> widespread throughout people's sideboards <laughs> because that kind of cost me any uh, going any deeper into the event. But not sad about it, not even the least bit uh, upset about my performance in the tournament. Played the deck I wanted to play, had uh, a worse result than I'd hoped, but not unexpected. So anyway, that was my day in in the main event. And then I got to play in a Chaos Sealed event. And if it didn't say, I swear to God, if it didn't say Tournament Pack on that uh, list, <laughs> I might not have signed up. But the fact that it was going to probably be the last time I ever get to play with a Tournament Pack, I was there was no way I couldn't sign up. So uh, the way the, the Chaos Sealed worked was um, each player got a tournament pack of uh, either shards, time spiral, or lorewin, uh, just randomly distributed. And then every player got one pack of Japanese time spiral. <laughs> and then every player also got two completely random packs. Uh, so my pool consisted of a, a starter deck of shards of Alara, a uh, the, 
Japanese Time Spiral Pack, an English Time Spiral Pack, and a pack of Born of the Gods. <laughs> so, <laughs> very weird, very strange. Um, although, the Shards of Alara starter deck helped me out immensely. I opened a Bull Ceradon, I opened a Violent Ultimatum, and a Wild Nakadal. So, I think that pretty much, uh, Steward of Valoran as well, uh, Kwasali, not Kwasali Primage, Kwasali Ambusher, pretty much set me up solidly in Naya colors. Um, I built a pretty awesome Naya deck, in my opinion, that had a lot of game, and, and, and if you let me get to Violent Ultimatum, there was no chance you were going to win. Uh, and I won my first round, I think in three games, or you know, in two. I won it pretty handily. And then, and this is kind of just poetic justice, really. I'm like, this is my last chance to play with tournament packs in a completely random format where people get random packs. And in the next round, games two and three, my opponent casts a turn five pack rat. So... <laughs> In my last chance to play limited with wacky cards, I also get my last chance to get Pack Ratted out of a tournament in limited because they had Pack Rat in their hand and cast it. So, <laughs> a little anticlimactic in my opinion, a little disappointing in terms of how the tournament could have went, but overall, again, no regrets in playing in it. I had a lot of fun playing in it. Um, and would do it again, even knowing that that would be the result in a heartbeat because it was a good time. Uh, so that was my, um, my day. Uh, Steven, yep. you, had, you had a much better result. Tell me about your day and what you played. And <laughs> Sure. I guess like in that last week, I, um, wasn't even sure if I was gonna play in the tournament cause it, it just depended on what was going, what was going on with, uh, people that weren't me basically. Uh, and also, you know, I hadn't really been playing uh, a lot of magic. I think I did one flashback return to Ravnica draft online since the GP, uh, had been <laughs> the sum total of my magic, uh, playing since, uh, since GP Houston. So, uh, I just basically put together the same mono red Eldrazi deck I had for GP Houston that did, you know, pretty well there and made some of the changes that I thought would improve it such as just adding some more lands just because um not having enough lands was basically the primary cause of losing some games uh during the gp uh got rid of two of the hangerback walkers um i think i just had land i just I just wanted to like get to my cards and not play clunky hangerback walker that i don't get to activate until like turn six so uh that, that was pretty much the, the the total of the changes i made i got rid of the uh tears of alicate in the sideboard just because no one's playing dragons anymore to my right, knowledge. Right. And that was, I mean, that was essentially it. I might've been feeling a little under the weather, uh, towards the beginning of the Hung tournament. Over as hell. <laughs> um, that, you know, you know, that's one way of describing it. Uh, I had some friends in town, uh, the night before that I hadn't seen in a while. And, uh, <laughs> I called Steven, uh, the, uh, on that Friday and I was like, uh, Hey man, just trying to touch base, uh, you know, uh, about, tomorrow uh, what are you doing he's like i'm drinking outside i was like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a beautiful day and they had uh they had a, they had some some very enticing specials that you know shop around you're not going to beat so uh that's what i did friday uh so yeah i got the i actually did manage to wake up um before 7 a.m and 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 drag myself and you to the tournament site uh, with plenty of time to spare was a little lethargic round one and we actually ended up going to time um <laughs> uh, which would become a theme later i guess um and it was mostly my fault like i was just like 
<laughs> trying to keep my head on straight and play properly, but I was the one that was that was not playing fast enough. So I just conceded because I thought at the time that a draw would not benefit me. And I, and I figured uh, I'm probably going to lose two of my first three matches and just go home. <laughs> that was my plan at the time. But after that, uh, the deck just more than compensated for my play. Um, there were several mis- – I, I was making mistakes throughout most of the first half of the day. Like I was not – I was just not playing well, but the margin of victory was so large that it just didn't matter. And uh, yeah, so I rattled off s- seven wins in a row to what I thought would be uh, – I thought that was my winning in actually – uh, to get to seven and one, because typically uh, you could just draw in and then you're good. But it turns out there was two 19 point players going into round nine. Ooh. Yeah, so you couldn't draw in, <laughs> and uh, they weren't playing each other, and they both won their matches individually. So there was definitely no drawing. And you know, we we played pretty briskly, but a little slow just because you know we kept like looking over a little bit <laughs> because those two 19 point players were playing directly next to us so you know we didn't really have to even ask them <laughs> what was going on uh we could just see what was happening um and uh we actually went to time in the last round and i ended up conceding since my tiebreakers were actually just the worst <laughs> i think my opponent match win percentage was like 50 something and literally yeah was it 52 52 that's really hard to do yeah. uh <laughs> unless you lose round one i guess and just win the rest of the way it's like the that's the way you can get your tiebreakers to be as bad as possible. I think uh, the earlier loss, the worse. So mine was the earliest, being the first round. Yeah, so I ended up uh, conceding since um, my opponent would not, and it you know I, I was not into the whole spite for mutually assured destruction, double draw, both not make the top eight because uh, the prize was the same for me regardless of about where I was, and, and also the the prize uh, the prize payout for the the tournament not only is it you know for for a good cause and the, and. Uh, and and something that you know I would want to support regardless, but I mean, just for selfish reasons, uh, you should probably come out to this tournament just because the prize score was so good, so fantastic. Um, it was. Yeah. So yeah, I basically went to turns. Uh, I was I was a turn away from winning, uh, and actually <laughs> like a land away from winning on the last turn. <laughs> that was an interesting last six. I had a Chandra, and they were at four, and I I forget how many lands I had. Uh, but she was on uh, – I just wanted to zero it to see if I could draw something. That's because I just had two – I think I had two cards in – two lands in hand. Or maybe it was a land and uh, a card that had just been Reflector Mage back to my hand so I couldn't play it anyway. So I zeroed her to draw three because I wanted to just hit a Sarkin and fly over for the wind. But I didn't think about the fact that um, Pia and Kieran Nalar would be – would also be a victory condition if I was able to play a land that turn. Because I had exactly enough land to, if I had, if I played a land to cast the PN Kieran Lar and sack two artifacts to mm. ping for four. Uh, so I drew my three cards. It was, uh, I think it was two Thought Not Seers and a PN Kieran Lar. So uh, if one of those had been a land and the PN Kieran, then I win. If I had, uh, if I had had one more land somewhere along the way, or if one of those three cards is a Sark and I win on the on the last turn, but uh, it was not meant to be. So. Uh, conceded the last, uh, uh, the last, uh, bonus turn. Yeah. Cause I was, that was turn four of extra turns. Yeah. So technically didn't make top eight, despite the fact that I, I, I technically did not lose a match. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, and I you're conceded. saying that one more turn gets it for you. Yeah. 
uh, on the last uh, for the for the last round. Uh, the first round, we're, no one was close to winning at all. Uh, and that was my fault. <laughs> so I just conceded there. But uh, in the last round, I was. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was a turn away or a, a turn or mana away from from winning. Well, I know it all worked out, but um, uh, what a bummer, because, I mean, you know, you're just really close. It feels to me like you deserve to be in the top eight. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. But, you know, others disagree. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not a spiteful guy. So some people just think they deserve it more than others. <laughs> And they immediately get crushed by people who actually deserve to be there. But anyway, <laughs> I have uh, no I, that's all, that's all, I'll just leave it at that. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to Zach Elsick for winning the tournament. And we're going to actually have an interview with Zach for the show right now. All right, everybody, I am joined by the winner of Grand Prix Oklahoma City, the winner, most relevantly to this podcast, of the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. Uh, other accomplishments in Magic include a top 32 at Pro Tour Barcelona, top 16 in Grand Prix Charlotte, and the man, for better or for worse, who brought Lantern Control into Tier 1 status, Zach Elsick. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks, Joe. Hey, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Congratulations on your win at the Hunter Burton Open. Uh, that was an awesome tournament. That was a lot of fun. Uh, did you play in any of the other Hunter Burton tournaments prior to this year? I actually did not. This was my first year playing in one of these events. Okay, um, cool. I, I guess I just kind of missed or didn't hear about them before, but I, w- I was happy to show up, show up to this one. It seems like a lot of Texas gets together for it. Yeah, well, this is the biggest uh, turnout by a about a hundred players, so so wow. this was the biggest one so far. And I mean, they're just looking to grow the thing every single year. Uh, I went to the first one. There was about a hundred. I, I Jeff was saying the numbers earlier today. There were like a hundred and sixty some players at the first one. Uh, the second one I missed because I think my LGS was having a uh, limited competitive event, and I'm just a sucker for limited events. So yeah, I wound up. Just- <laughs> yeah, so I wound up staying closer to home uh, last year, but this year, and actually um, with me retiring from the game uh, at the end of uh, April, this is going to be the only event I'm playing in other than pre-releases. Um, I'm going to play in the Hunter Burton, or do so I'm going to be involved with the tournament every year, um, and that's going to be my only competitive event uh, for the year. Uh, so... Uh, so yeah, so it's, I mean it's an it's an awesome event. It's really important to Texas, and I'm, I'm glad to see it growing because um, like the the turnout was slightly smaller the year after, and that kind of worried me because I didn't show up, and you know it, it was it was level essentially, you know 140, 160 is pretty much level. Uh, but I was hoping that the tournament would really pick up some steam, and this year really seems like it did. Uh, so I'm excited about it. Um, I know Jeff has an interview uh, with Wizards about the tournament, so I think there's going to be an article in the Mothership about the Hunter Burton. So you know, awesome. it's yeah. So it's so it's really cool. It's really getting a lot of attention, um, and it feels like a big event in Texas, and that's great. Like it's just you don't get a lot of events like this anymore, where it's just like separate from like the tour separate from the SCG tour, separate from the Grand Prix circuit. You know, you don't really get a lot of events that just feel like a big event and specific to an area. So it's just cool to see this event um, have the success that it did. And, uh, you know, really cool to see uh, 
you know, frankly, an, uh, a local all-star right now, uh, <laughs> pull it out, you know? Uh, so uh, what did you wind up playing in the event for the standard portion? Um, I went with Grixis Control. So oh, cool. to, to give you a little bit of history on my standard experience, um, I didn't really start doing anything with this standard season um, up until about a month or so ago. Okay. Just because I, I wasn't really interested in playing in a format where you could throw whatever colors you wanted into a deck and whatever big rares and mythic you wanted and make a sweet deck with infinite value or well, play actually, Yeah. And, and it's just it just wasn't my taste for someone who likes brewing and homebrewing you with, you know, the commons and uncommons. Mm-hmm. But um, I decided to jump into it because I was intrigued by a Grixis control list um, that played Jace, Friends, Prodigy, Kalidus, and uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers, I think it was. Yeah. And it just, it just squeezed out value, similar to how the Grixis control list operates in Modern. And I'm, I'm a sucker for control lists. And so I went with a Grixis kind of uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers build about a month ago and slowly shifted away from that and more into Chandra and some counter magic and more, you know, discard spells. Very um, traditional control. Yeah. And, and to be honest, the deck list that I took, I, I didn't put that much testing in between the week leading up to the, the memorial event. I just kind of copied the Grand Prix Paris list. <laughs> yeah. And I let all my Grixis control experience from before kind of help me play the list that apparently is fine-tuned enough to get first to the GP. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and uh, I did something similar where I played, but I had a terrible result, uh, but I played uh, Mono Green Eldrazi uh, because uh, with this being my last constructed tournament before I quit Magic, um, Mono Green Ramp was the first deck I ever built for myself like 20, almost 21 years ago. And um, it just seemed really fitting for Mono Green Ramp to be the last deck I played. Um, so I did the same kind of thing where I literally didn't goldfish the deck before the tournament. And um, <laughs> But, you know, I had played enough ramp decks to know that my day was going to go about exactly how it went. Sometimes you get all the big things and none of the ramps. Sometimes you get all the ramp, none of the big things. Sometimes you have the one big thing and someone casts Transgress the Mind and you don't have it, and then you draw lands the rest of the game. So, you know, I went 1-3 drop, and I honestly couldn't have had a better time doing it because it was the deck I wanted to play. It operated like the decks that I've played in the past and I had about the same amount of success. So, you know, that was fine, but that's really cool. And I, and I, and I wholeheartedly agree with you in terms of, um, uh, this format, the standard environment being so, it's not, not something I'm interested in and, and, and not, let's not even get started about the deck names because they just make me want to puke. Um, Grixis White. Yeah. Hate that's, that. That's why I like mine so much. It was simply Grixis Control. Grixis Control, <laughs> and I like that, man. So that answers my next question: Was if uh, had you been playing your deck for a while, or was this your first run with the you know with your current with the standard deck? So that that answers that question. That's great. Yeah, I mean, just picking it up, using the prior knowledge you had uh, right. with the archetype, and just running with it, and that's awesome. It seemed to work out well for uh. you. Um, so you know. You're winning a, a Grand Prix in uh, that's modern format. You're winning the Hunter Burton, which had standard and draft. Uh, so, can you be stopped? I mean, like, is it possible to stop the Zach Elsick train? Well, I'm never gonna play Popper. So, if you want to beat me in Popper, <laughs> you go for it. <laughs> I, I don't have anything against the format. It's just 
a little bit too restrictive. I don't know. I, I, I like the the explosiveness of, of a lot of these powerful and expensive cards. Yeah. And I guess it helps that I already have them, but True. yeah. Popper and EDH, you can get me at those any day you want. <laughs> right, yeah. You you actually won't... You can't pay me $20 to sit down at an EDH game. But anyway, uh, so what do you? why do you think you've been on such a hot streak lately? What do you think it is? Uh, just mojo? Just good timing? Just, uh, you know, stars aligning? What is it? What's going on? <laughs> well, uh, part of it's putting in a lot of effort in the practice. Yeah. It's something that you want to excel at. Um I knew, I guess, exactly a year ago that I really wanted to try hard again competitively at Magic and excel and do well. And I was toying around with a lot of lists, and I put a lot of research and effort into the Lantern build. And it eventually paid off, because when you test against 10, 15 decks, and you find that your win percentage is incredibly high, then you know you're on to something, and you can just pull it into a tournament where people aren't expecting it and get a lot of wins out of it. Um, so that, that was the goal there, is doing that, hopefully getting a Pro Tour invite from it somehow, because I enjoy playing on the Pro Tour, right? Yeah. Uh, and I guess with a little bit of luck, we got there. That's awesome. So, like, I mean, that's got to be, because, like, I like brewing decks. Uh, one of the problems I've had as a Magic player is that with the internet being just you know such a lightning fast resource for tier one decks and just the way that the format just evolves so rapidly nowadays um it must be really cool and really really rewarding rewarding in a way i'll never know uh to like brew a list like lantern control that's so out there and to take it and to actually top 16 a grand prix with it it has to be like one of the best feelings in the world right Oh, it was, and I, I wasn't expecting it until it happened, so I was very, very happy. Yeah, it's just, just super cool, you know? Um, now, like I said, uh, the Hunter Burton was standard and draft, and we found out that you did not know you were going to be drafting Modern Masters 2015 <laughs> until the end of the Swiss. So it means you had about... Five ten minutes to switch gears and uh, and get ready to draft Modern Masters twenty fifteen. Uh, were you uh, disappointed or angry at all that the top eight was draft, uh, uh, not knowing it was? I, I don't. I wasn't. It was just kind of a thing that I had forgotten because I, when I originally looked into this event, you know, I signed up on Facebook. Hey, I'm going to do this. Um, marked it on my calendar and then com- completely forgot about it for a good month or so. Right, And I knew, oh, okay, we'll just show up to this event that I know is going on today, play my standard list that I love, and then when the Swiss ended, I go, yeah, we're setting up these tables in the square where eight people sit around it. Oh, goodness, that's for drafting. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) But fortunately, I at least drafted Modern Masters uh, 2015 at least twice, so that, that helped a lot going into it. I think it's like one of the only draft formats I've ever actually been good at. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. I like how many archetypes are in it. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, you, you know, managed to pull it out. Um, we got to see a little bit of your deck. We didn't get to stay for the whole top eight, but uh, what, uh, tell me a little bit about your, uh, your draft deck. Before I tell you what the draft deck was, let me yeah. tell you what my pack one pick one was. Okay. You tell me what you would have taken. All right. So in the pack... I, I just go to the back and I see Foil Ant Queen. 
That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and then next to it, I see Bitter Blossom. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what else is in the pack. Nothing really too sweet, you know, in comparison. But there was a Bone Splinters, and I think there was a Raise the Alarm. And so instead of taking the Ant Queen, I went with Bitter Blossom, which is a pretty good bomb on its own, right? Yeah. Um, and then for the rest of pack one, uh, black and white were both dry. Oh, no. uh, but I ended up on black and white tokens because pack two was just full of white rares, three raise the alarms, all two bone splinters. That was the idea of the deck was just tokens, a little bit of removal, um, rares, and two fortifies, which won me 80% of my games. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this fortify just beefing up your entire team. It's really hard if you're on the receiving end of fortify to plan and play around it. I mean, it's almost impossible. You can't just keep playing around something forever, right? Right. Eventually, you got to go, okay, I'm going to go for it. And if he got it, he got it. Yep. And it yeah. worked out. Nice. Yeah, uh, I, I, saw the, uh, I saw the foil ant queen in another match in the top eight, so... I kind of knew the answer to the question when uh, when you when you said foil ant queen. I'm like, well, I know he didn't take that because I saw it in uh, in Brian's deck. So, well, awkwardly <laughs> enough, um, after passing the foil ant queen, I was immediately passed a regular ant queen. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way we're gonna pass this one. So <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the guy to my right took because there's an ant queen in the pack, and the foil is some random common, and. I think afterwards I learned that, oh, we probably took Savage Twister, because that's a, another really good one. It is good, yeah. But, I mean, blue, I don't know, green-red for your pick one? I don't know. I'd have slammed yeah, the green a, in that pack. Uh, but, yeah, so that's really cool. So you drafted the black-white tokens list. Um, obviously, you had a lot of success with it. That's so really cool. Um, you got a big freaking trophy at your house right now. Yep. Um, so uh, outside of, you know, your normal, your regular magic buddies, uh, who are you mo- do most want to show the trophy to? I, I ended up with a picture of it, and I sent it off to my parents, um, which is funny because I had sent them a picture of the trophy that I got from Oklahoma City, which is about the size of my hand. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, look at this trophy that I won this past weekend, which is much, much bigger. So you showed it off to them. That's great. Yeah. Um, and now, and also, in addition to having a trophy you got a sweet watch have you tried the watch on yet uh i have not i've no. looked at it a bit and it's still in the box <laughs> i don't typically wear watches much fair enough uh so you think you'll wind up selling it to the guy from mini- miniature exchange who's like probably. yeah figured uh i probably would too I, I see my problem is i can't keep a nice thing i have like so i like this is a weird fact about me, but I like to wear women's sunglasses. It's been that way since middle school. They fit better on my face, and I've always thought men's sunglasses look stupid. So anyway, I have this one pair of sunglasses, and the uh, the on-brand version is like Prada, right? And they're like 150 to $300, depending on where you get them. Uh, but I have like a $10 like knockoff version of them. And they've lasted me forever. I throw them in my backpack and I pull them out. They're just fine. I know if I spent $150 on a pair of sunglasses, I'd drop them on the ground and they'd shatter in like a week. You know, so having the $10 pair, I can beat them up and they just never die. So I don't know. Same thing with a watch. I'd be so scared to put a $1,000 watch on my wrist because I know I'd just like get excited. I'd wave my arms one time. My arm would smash into the one thing that could break the watch and I'd just have a useless, 
chunk of leather and metal on my hand. Like, <laughs> so I, I probably would do the same thing. Um, so now that we've talked about how much you dislike um, the current standard environment, uh, what are you most excited about for Shadows over Innistrad standard? And uh, specifically, what card uh, for standard are you most excited about in Shadows? And I don't even know what card. I'm just interested in playing with Jason Kalita some more, yeah. even if it means without Fetchlands. Sure, sure. Uh, um, I, I, I guess some people are excited about Madness and others with Delirium. Uh-huh. I think the Avacyn creature is really cool, the one with Flash and Fine. Yeah. That, I mean, that kind of requires you to play, you know, a creature like Strategy, and I'm someone who enjoys control, so maybe we'll try something with... Uh, Archangel of Tides and Archangel Addison. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, the thing thing under the ice or thing in the ice? Have you looked at that card at all? I have, and it feels really powerful, right, when you first look at it, and I'm sure that's exactly how it went in testing, right? The developers who created it, and they tested with it a lot in Standard, like I guess this is pretty reasonable. It takes four instants and sorceries before it goes off and causes havoc. But even then, that's not the end of the world. So for standard, I don't think it'll be a big player. No. Maybe no. for modern or some of these other formats where you get the Cascataxian probe. True. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who are like totally fawning over the dream scenario of like having four probes and a thing in the ice in your hand. Like that's oh. ever going to happen, but... Uh, you know, you at least get the cantrip into them, but still, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. Um, yeah, I'm. it's funny because uh, Shadow's standard looks to be the return of, like, two-color decks. And that's exactly the kind of standard format I love, and it's exactly when I quit Magic, so hooray! <laughs> <laughs> picked a bad time to quit crystal meth no but um but that's cool though i'm gonna i'm gonna have fun i'll probably wind up picking up some coverage here and there just watching it for fun like uh my buddy joey pasco like doesn't really play very actively but he watches coverage kind of frequently just to kind of get a feel for things so i might wind up doing that a little bit but this looks like a a standard format that's going to be fun to see and and a little more a little easier to discern what the hell's going on Mm-hmm. Because they'll actually be like two color decks and not just four color everything good decks. Like, so I'm looking forward to just seeing rotation happen because this, right. st- this standard isn't fun for me. Um, lastly, uh, uh, I just want you to give a shout out to your LGS. I don't know where you play, but uh, you know, you're here. Um, shout out. I play at Madness up in Plano, it, cool. mostly because it's so close and. It's they get a pretty big turnout, you know, a lot of events, and I've known the people there for a while. Sweet, awesome, you know, it's uh, it's cool. It's like you know, it's like saying NSYNC's your favorite band uh, if it's <laughs> if it's fifteen years ago. They're a great band, you know, but they're you know they're the they're the the uh, the establishment, if you will. Yeah, no, but uh, <laughs> they're great though. No, Madness is great. I've I've only ever had good tournament experiences at Madness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's cool. Awesome. Well, that's really great. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Um, is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention about the tournament or about your weekend or uh, anyone you want to talk smack on or anything like that? Or I was just 
generally surprised because I went to the tournament expecting to enjoy and have fun playing Grixis Control. Ended up doing really well, you know, winning the thing. Um, much like, I mean, top eighting was still a surprise. Uh, but one of my friends who has been to the same Pro Tours that I have um, flew in from Arizona and he ended up top eighting, Gary Wong. Oh, He's wow. Like, Shout outs to him for doing better than me at the last Pro Tour and then coming in top eighting this event as well. <laughs> that's great. Wow, that's awesome. That's good to hear that people are like flying in for this, you know, and that's good. We'd love to see more of that, you know. Right. Um, just want to see this. This, I mean, it sounds like this event is starting to get the right attention and I think it's only going to get bigger from here. So right. uh, that's awesome. And, you know, again, congratulations. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you battle next year and hopefully not having to sit across the table from you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, Zach. I appreciate it. You have a good night. Yeah, you too. See ya. See ya. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Shadows over Innistrad. Spoilers. We've got the full the full spoiler went up on Friday. Uh, we've all totally studied it inside and out. We know every single thing about every single right. card, and and we're ready to give you the objective truths about every card in the set right now. Uh, so we're going to talk about this stuff from a limited perspective, which means we're probably going to focus to begin with each color. Uh, more on the uncommons and commons and what stuff from that aspect of the set has us most excited. Um, then we're going to throw it to Steven to kind of give us a couple cards that he's most excited about for standard. Uh, you know, Jeff, you probably have opinions on that too, possibly or not. Mm-hmm. I definitely do not. So I am going to refrain from offering any sort of opinions on standard. Other than to yell loudly, I disagree with every single thing that Steven uh, <laughs> suggests. Uh, but, like I said, so that's how we're going to run down this thing. We're going to start with white, and we're just going to work our way through. Um, so I just want to start with the card I'm most excited about in white for limited, and that would be Bound by Moon Silver. Uh, Bound by Moon Silver is a white and two. It's an enchantment aura. It's an uncommon It's an enchant creature. Enchanted creature can't attack, block, or transform, which is really interesting. And then, that already would be just a a, a slam dunk. Like, that would be such a great card already. Then it says, sacrifice another permanent, attach bound by moon silver to target creature. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. And only once each turn. So, what? Like, that's an unbelievable card. At the cost of a permanent to move your... What is that called? The thing in the picture. I don't know why I can't think of the name of it. Hmm. Oh, stocks. Yeah, to move your stocks on to another creature. Uh, it's, it's just That's just that, awesome. I'm, I mean, that might not even be a cost if you're trying to get to Delirium. That's true. It's very true. Any permanent, which, yeah, so you can definitely turn on Delirium by doing that, sacrificing some sort of odd enchantment. Not a clue, remember. They don't stay in your graveyard. Um, or land or anything. Right, right, right. And you can move it over. I mean, there's a lot of things that generate uh, spirit tokens. So you could just 
be sacrificing tokens to move this over. There's lots of different ways you can get this onto an even bigger threat uh, once you have a way to deal with the thing that you have previously bound. Um, and and if your opponent has the bound by moon silver, you really get them because you can just cast yours and immediately sack the creature you have that's got their bound by oh, moon silver on it. Oh, that's <laughs> amazing! It. That's right, really because good. it's because it is sorcery speed. Uh, it would be just you know a crazy broken card if whenever one of your creatures was about to die, you could instant speed move your yeah. bound by moon silver onto their big monster. But even at the deliberate pace that they require us to use it it's definitely the best pacifism ever <laughs> yeah pretty yeah. good yeah <laughs> yeah like and not even and and like the transform thing's amazing because like there are some creatures that just offer benefit from transforming i can't remember the name of it but there's the werewolf that like gives your uh attacking creatures plus one plus oh and trample or something like that um in red like that you know doesn't allow that card to transform you got to make sure you hit it uh, <laughs> well, it's on the you know the previous like the, the pre werewolf side. <laughs> so they don't really want to leave it on that ability. Uh, but it yeah, doesn't, doesn't it seem like the transform guys? By the way, there are thirty three things that flip in this set, and they're not all creatures. Doesn't it seem like more of them want to flip back? Also, in other words, I think feel I feel like they're using that more than last time, at least in a single set, and so. And so, and some of those things, um, their second transform back to the original face happens, I would say, you know, extremely easily with very small, you know, things that they're basically meant to go back and forth and back and forth. It's going to be very helpful to have a card like Bound that turns that off. It's also going to be very helpful to make sure you bring either opaque sleeves to any tournament involving these cards or to bring uh, completely clear sleeves and extra checklist cards with you when you come to play uh, Shadows Sealed or Draft. Now, does this make sense to you guys? There are so many flip cards that um, I have uh, that uh, that I have it from uh, an unreliable source that the checklist card also has stuff on both sides that doesn't really make sense would it no 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 it, that could, yeah. multiple checklist cards are you kidding me huh. it's going to be very hard to keep up with all these things particularly in limited so uh, let's say every booster comes with a checklist card well good luck with that every booster also comes with two creatures that transform probably right oh man yeah it might be a bit of a disaster hopefully um you know, especially for something like Albuquerque, hopefully in addition to uh, land packs, hopefully that Wizards will just provide checklist packs. Maybe they'll provide checklist packs to the stores that are running the pre-releases as well. Uh, have we gotten any word on that? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I Do you know for a fact if they have or haven't? Because I think that some stores have been getting their product already, right? I mean, Right, I, but I haven't heard anything about that. And, you know, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe there will only be one flip card per pack and maybe there'll always be a checklist card uh, it's incredible but the thing is of course um you can't um, one checklist card doesn't solve it right there are two checklist cards i believe right so you got to get the right checklist card <laughs> <laughs> luckily i got a lot of experience with baseball cards back when um back in the dark ages before the internet when i was a kid so 
So I, I've always understood the value of the checklist card. But but yes, the transform mechanic and and these cards, uh, you know, that spill over onto their other side, um, they're troublesome logistically. There's just no doubt about it. So this card's pretty hype, and I'm pretty excited about it. What's the first card that stands out to you, Jeff, on this page? Okay, well, um, again, I'm always trying to look for commons and uncommons because as a limited player, that's what you're going to see the most of. Um, Most of the time, you can figure out the rares, you know? Right. Uh, Well, this one one would be a sucker card, usually, uh, which, of course, means I probably would play it immediately. But um, now it might be a little better... I'm uh, Griff's boon for just one white to give your creature plus one plus O and flying. Um, although it's in a color where you'll have a certain number of flying, but in white, you're also going to have a lot of dumb human townsfolk down on the ground. <laughs> yep. And, um, I love it. And you know, uh, you, a person, it's a kind of a sucker card when you have a, when you play an enchantment that doesn't do much more, but gives a guy evasion, but of course, it gives you the opportunity to be two for one. But later in games, when this card is in your graveyard, because you get two for one, <laughs> you can return it from the graveyard for four mana and attach it to a new creature. So it's not equipment, it's an enchantment that you can, an enchantment aura, but it does give you the opportunity late in games to use it, get, get extra use out of it. And so. If you have one of these in your deck, you've got flying. You can, you know, you can kind of count on it and depend on it. Right, and I like that a lot too. That was actually the uh, the other card I was looking at. If I didn't mention Bound by Moon Silver, because Bound by Moon Silver is just so damn good. Yeah, the thing I like about Chris Boone as well is like uh, white doesn't have a ton of it, but for if it if you happen to pair it with a color that that has madness, it's a great. It's a great tool for that or any kind of self-mill antics you have going on. And then it can be in your graveyard for, let's say, there's just one. If you only have like a couple cards that require delirium, you can get your delirium from it and then also just then return it back to the battlefield, which I really like. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. smart. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, Steven, you got something? Sure. I just like Dauntless Cathar. <laughs> it's uh, just a common two and a white. Human Soldier, 3-2. Um, it just seems like you're getting a good amount of value for it. And then it, it has the ability, one white, exile Dauntless Cathar from your graveyard, put a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Um, and you can only activate that whenever you could cast a sorcery. It just seems like you're getting a, just a very good amount of value uh, in either an aggressive or mid-range deck. Um, that's probably my one of my favorite commons uh, in white. The other thing I, w- I wanted to point out with the uh, Bound by Moon Silver is, uh, <laughs> I mean... And I, I, I was like, I don't really see anything I want to search up with open armory. But <laughs> then you mentioned Bound by Moonsilver. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's an aura. It's not a uh, – it's not like a stasis snare. No. That's – yeah. I didn't even realize that until you started talking about, about that card. <laughs> yeah. So you could totally just uh, – open armory is essentially like having a second Bound by Moonsilver in your deck and actually curves into it too if you're uh, just getting it right out of the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's sweet. Uh, I also like um, just piggybacking off the Dauntless Cathar, the Near Heath Chaplain. Same concept. Um, it's the three-one lifelink uh, for a white and three, and then a two and a white exile it to put 
exile from your graveyard to put two one one white spirit tokens onto the battlefield. Um, and that's really cool to me because you see a lot of these three one like for two, like the Devil Thorn Fox, right? The uh it's the three one for two vanilla um creature where you know you you have this three one. I mean it's very fragile. It's gonna die. If you're aggressive, you'll swing into a one three and take the trade just to clear the way for like, you know, a bunch of your two twos later. Uh but this chaplain does double duty because it's it's got that same body. It's got the lifelink, so you can swing in. You don't care if it lives or dies. And in fact, you might even your opponent might even be incentivized to let it live if they don't have many ways to deal with flyers. So you've got kind of a double-edged sword with this card where you can uh, swing in, gain some life, trade with a creature, and then you can exile it, get two spirits. I mean, that's amazing. It's just ridiculous. Um, I wanted to talk about one more card in Uncommon. Uh, it's the uh, Not Forgotten, because I don't think I was reading this card correctly at first, and I think it's actually kind of awesome. So it's one in a white, it's a sorcery, and it says, put target card from a graveyard on the top or bottom of its owner's library. Put a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. So for one and a white, this is a spirit token and it's the best card in your graveyard on top of your library. So like, you know, so let's say you've got, I don't know, something bound by moon silver, for instance, uh, and you wish you had it back because somebody did the trick where they sacrificed their own creature to their own bound by moon silver and, and, and uh, or to your bound by moon silver to get rid of it, and then use their bound by moon silver. You can use this. You get a spirit, and then you get your bound by moon silver back, and you go right to town with it again. I think not forgotten is way better because at first I actually thought it said put target card from an opponent's graveyard on the top or bottom of its owner's library. Because I figured like, oh, there's no way it's going to let you get a card back and make a spirit token, but it does all of those things. So I think it's very good. Yeah, you can put your opponent's near hearth chaplain from their graveyard on the bottom of their deck as well. So they don't get to get the spirit action going on since they yep. can only do it as a sorcery speed. Yeah. There's a lot of utility to it. There are other ways to do it. I kind of more like it as a way to get back something from my own graveyard. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, noxious revival, but uh, that one is an instant. This is not, but this does give you the added bonus of having that token hit the battlefield, uh, which you can then sacrifice <laughs> to move your uh bound by moon silver. So this is just mono bound by moon silver talk. I think we can do do we agree that that's the best card in white? <laughs> uh in common or uncommon, sure. Right. I'm just seeing this is uh, this set it seems like an overarching theme for limited is uh is extra value, you know, so many cards that give you more than just um, no pun intended, the face value of that card. <laughs> right. <laughs> that it's going to make limited really interesting because, um, because uh, as you, you know, chase card advantage and now partial card advantage and now, uh, you know, fractional card advantage is all over the place in this set. And so uh, 
you know, now I'm ahead by half a card. Uh-oh, my opponent is now ahead of me by three quarters of a card <laughs> and uh, and a token. And, you know, it's going to be... It's going to be, uh, and yet what they did was these extra values, you know, are relatively small, right. but they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really are. It's kind of awesome. I, I'm, I'm really loving this set so far. I mean, hell, just look at the comp interaction between Spectral Shepherd and Toppelgeist for crying out loud. Yep. I mean, like all the spirit to, uh, creatures seem to have an enter the battlefield um, ability, it looks like. Although I'm kind of sad, there's not that many spirits, at least in like white, from from what I can tell. Uh, not nearly as many like humans, <laughs> but there seem and, to be quite a few that make up for that in like blue and black. As I was going down the list, I'm like, no, there's some spirits here, like they're there. Yeah, uh, it's just it seems like there's a lot more vampires and humans and werewolves than than there were spirits. And the other problem is that this like it this would be great in a uh, well, this is just great on its own because it could bounce itself to That's avoid true. removal. And then the other problem is that, like, everyone's just going to take this card. It's not just going to be the spirit deck that takes this. Like, the spirit deck's going to take all the the other marginal spirit cards. But, like, you know, 2-2 two, two flyer for three in whites. Like, yeah, sure. I don't even have to be playing blue. Who cares? Don't have to have any spirits either. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and the same goes for, um, like, you were, you know, we were kind of uh, poo-pooing Bygone Bishop before because... A lot of times, creature spells with converted mana cost three or less aren't really where you want to be in limited. Um, but a 2-3 flyer for three, just like you said, a 2-2 flyer for three is fine. There's value in some of these cards without even needing the extra text. Um, but if you're able to make the synergies work, then obviously uh, you know, you're in a really good spot. Jeff, name another card you want to talk about in white. Okay, um, I'm having a little trouble actually with white in the commons and uncommons. What do you like, Stephen, that we haven't talked about? The thing is I'm not, I'm not sure about is that it seems like there's a lot of token enablers. And this is like something to just kind of figure out later, I guess. Um, but I'm not seeing as many token like cards that like efficiently create a good number of tokens. Like There's plenty of, like it seems like, uh, Ethereal Guidance would be a good card in a tokens deck if you could actually get like a critical mass of spirit tokens or something like that. But I just don't know if there's enough engine cards to do that with uh ethereal guidance two and a white sorcery creatures you control get plus two plus one um that one's just you're gonna have to play and find out uh in general for limited which is going to impact the most like the how how we i guess value the most cards in the set is what is a clue worth (laughs) like i just don't know exactly what do you think about that Uh, you know i i i think it's clunky as hell you know when for you know i don't think of investigating as putting a permanent in play and eventually draw. I would have, you know, investigate if someone told me that's a new magic ability would have made me think that I'm uh, looking at cards or looking at at somebody's hand possibly and doing something or. Yeah, that's a little weird. (laughs) Investigate doesn't seem like, Oh, you're putting aside something that you'll pay mana for later to get a card. And Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a generic usage of um, an ability to do a very, you know, um, very generically good thing, which is draw an extra card at some point. I, I actually think that the, the the investigate tokens, the clue tokens, um, there are some cards that give you a good payoff for those. Um, I've at least seen one in blue in a very interesting uh, deck um, that I'm that I'm determined to try at some point in. Uh, 
in sealed um, or in draft, but um, I think that they're I think they're fine because I think a lot of the cards that investigate already have like a decent cost as it is, and then just having the investigates uh, the clue tokens sit around as a way to uh, just sink mana and, and draw cards later is fine if you don't have a way to cash them in. There are several ways to cash them in, though, um, and we'll get to those as we go through the spoiler. If if you don't open enough of them, then by all means, in a week or two, dial up legit MTG and feel free to buy a clue. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> The, the one thing about Clues and, I guess, the other mechanic of the set, Delirium, and I guess there's also Madness. Uh, but I was looking at those two, uh, I guess, mechanics combined, and I was trying to see if like they could like tell us like what the limited environment's actually going to be. Those would seem to point towards a more slow pace of play, like not necessarily favoring aggressive decks, even though initially looking at some of these cards, um, maybe not White's the best uh, to look at it, but like it seemed like... This could be an aggressive set, but there's also like a lot of uh, they've put a lot of stuff in there that if you want to stop aggressive decks, you can, and then if you want to gain value over a longer game, you can with Delirium and Clues. So uh, I'm still undetermined on that, but that's what I took away from at least those two mechanics is that like those kind of favor more mid range or controlling decks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, to actually true. get value out of those. Right. Well, Investigate's interesting, but Delirium to me is amazing. I'm very excited about this Tarmogoyf like. Um, you know, effect um, domain for your graveyard. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> nice. And uh, and the fact that there's a lot of, I mean, you know, there's your synergy. You know, Delirium's got this really good synergy with with Madness because sacrificing things enables Madness and helps you with Delirium. Yeah. Where um, again, you know, you don't have to convince me that drawing extra cards is good. I just don't know. Um, yeah, if I do, you know, uh, investigate is like mailing off for a toy that you're going to get in the mail someday. You know, it's not the same as getting something now. Yeah, and I, and I agree that the uh, the actual ability name is kind of counterintuitive to what the ability does. This uh, w- this one may not become evergreen. You know, like some <laughs> others. yeah, it's, it seems it's unlikely. No, it's no scry, um, and, and I do. Um, I agree with Delirium being really powerful. I did not see it at first, um, but after seeing the number of uh, enchantments, such as like Vessel of Ephemera, mm-hmm. uh, one in a white enchantment common, two in a white, sacrifice it, put two one white spirit creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield, there's a number of enchantments that just sacrifice themselves and you know, can can trigger delirium, just can get you that value, and I think that's really cool uh, because that was really where I thought it was going to be. Like, okay, so we've got into sorcery, instant creature, and question marks. You know what I mean? Like, right. what do we have? How are we else? How else are we going to do it? Uh, but yeah, with all the discard abilities and with all the enchantments that uh, let you uh, sacrifice them for effects. Uh, I think that getting Delirium will be a fairly reliable thing to do, way more than I did at first. So, so, so we're pretty much good on on limited for white consensus favorite card. Uh, do, is it is it bound by Moon Silver in commons and uncommons here for limited? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's pretty much uh, the way to go. What about commons? What's your favorite common? Uh, mine's either going to be the Dauntless Cathar, or if you can get the equipment, I guess that's Strength of Arms. But I mean, a, that's not that's not an amazing common. 
I'm 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 gonna go with Angelic Purge, um, two and a white as an additional cost to cast it. Sacrifice a permanent exile target artifact creature or enchantment. Uh, I think that's a really powerful card. Um, and uh, at common, uh, I think that I'm willing to sacrifice a permanent to get that effect unconditionally on any of those permanents. Uh, Jeff, what's your favorite common? Well, I like that inspiring captain for white and three is a three, three um, that's, you know, solid enough to have a giant for three. I mean, for, for four mana and pumping your entire team is um, just, just about the right time in a, in a not necessarily aggressive or mid range deck that, um, you know, you, that you'll turn your other guys sideways and on turn four, you'll still have this three, three guy back to uh, do some blocking uh, next turn so you know just it just feels just about right and the plus one plus one for the rest of your team will make this guy not suck when you draw him late in games absolutely sure i, I agree with that 100 percent um so now steven i'm going to actually mute talk about some of the cards you're most excited about for standard i think i'm just gonna have to like do like a gatherer search to actually figure this one out but i think open the armory actually could be constructed playable at one and a white it's just cheap enough to get there since it actually puts it in your hand yeah um to search up an aura or equipment card i mean that's just yeah i mean any kind of tutor package i mean the, the price is actually right like you know we've we've had some tutors in standard with uh oh gosh there's two in a red you can find a dragon card that that wasn't good call the oath of the gate watch or call of the gate watch or whatever that was two and a white for the search up a planeswalker uh i think this one's just cheap enough to actually potentially get there um just because it has a lot of flexibility other than that we've already talked about archangel avison that one's pretty obvious mm-hmm. uh the two aggressive white humans uh Thalia's lieutenant uh one in a white for a one one whenever it enters the battlefield you put a plus one plus one counter on each human you control and then whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control you put a plus one plus one counter on it uh that seems like if there's enough uh, humans uh in standard that's that's going to be a card um what do you think about Jace? Have we got a? Is this you kind of got like a good Jace, bad Jace? They have to keep, they have to keep kind of. Uh, <laughs> here's a Jace that's great in standard. Here's a Jace that's not great in standard. Is that you know, um, you know, five mana, basically two sort of, um, two sort of recycled Jace abilities from the past. Um, Although the plus one, scry one and draw a card. I mean, that is good. Yeah, That is very good. But you did pay five. And uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, the decks right now that would, um, you know, that could figure out a way to uh, move this in. Doesn't make nothing. This doesn't make sense to any deck that currently exists. No, nothing. that I could see. We we briefly talked about this one. It kind of just the the conclusion we came to is just to. It it really demonstrated just how busted Mind Sculptor was, right? <laughs> just because that four mana, like almost you, you, you get almost the same package, except uh, the draw the draw the draw ability is a little better, right? And I sure would love this one at four. This would be that I wouldn't have any question in my mind. I'd be building around it at four, and yep. I'm I'm really uh, but I'm smitten by the minus eight because it starts at five. That's that, true. That uh, your opponent can't can't just let this jace draw you some cards for a couple of turns they've got to get the um, loyalty counters off of this guy before you before you nullify uh the first spell that they play every turn i think it's good enough that people will actually try like this isn't going to be 
oh gosh, I can't remember the Jace from M15. Right. Uh, I think this one's good enough that people. I think it's. I think it's just one of the fairest <laughs> planeswalkers they've they've designed in a long time. Right, which you know um, is is almost an insult. <laughs> oh, yeah, fair planeswalker. <laughs> Dang, what am I going to do with that? But planeswalkers are, of course, by their nature not fair. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so this one, even though it seems like kind of a fair one, yeah, it, it's it seems good. But I'm just looking up there and going. Uh, five you know just, yeah i think you're getting just about exactly your mana's worth which <laughs> you want to be getting just a little bit more <laughs> i guess so yeah the other one I would, i'd be interested in uh in, in in messing around with is the the handware militia captain i mean that just seems like it could go in a either white green or naya token deck um that's the one white two two uh human soldier at the beginning of your upkeep if you control four more creatures you transform them and uh the transformed card is a Westvale cult leader which is a star star and its power and toughness are equal to the number of creatures you control it's a human cleric and at the beginning of your end step you put a one one white and black human cleric creature token onto the battlefield so uh plays nice with uh Bali as lieutenant and it's a little bit mirror of Averbrookie, which saw some standard play so mm-hmm. uh those are the those are really the only white cards we had i mean we'd already talked about like declaration stones obviously gonna see see play archangel absence gonna see play descend upon the sinful might see play i could see that happening um it's a pretty big payoff to uh actually get a creature from your sweeper and then i have no idea on always watching that's <laughs> yeah i just don't know i don't i, I don't think so <laughs> is is the conclusion i came to and then eerie interlude i could see if you know we have enough of these enter the battlefield creatures that you're abusing with uh while it's still in standard with collected company because i that does not rotate. Only Rally the Ancestors is rotating. What a sad day. <laughs> um, right, I'm and okay looking at these high-quality um, multicolor cards, like Anguished Unmaking and Soren and Nahiri, pl- the mm-hmm. couple of nice Planeswalkers, but just at the same time that we're making it harder to play all the colors. Yep. That's the one thing I'm, 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 I'm going to be most happy about in terms of standard rotation is just the fact that a two-color deck is actually going to have better mana than a four-color deck, which is kind of silly to say. But hey, maybe it's you know maybe it's time to uh, sober up a little bit on on the mana and and um, yeah. you know you can, can you can count on you know on, I think on one hand how often in standard you've got in the last ten years that you've had fetch lands and you know you can't you can't have that forever. Oh right. yeah, that that too. Uh, speaking of all the going to time <laughs> i'll be glad to see the the fetch lands gone yeah just shuffling every single turn for the first five turns uh it feels like you're playing legacy out there <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah it's like uh we shuffle we cut we shuffle we cut we shuffle we cut oh so boring don't Did like it make it. you blue no but there are a number of cards in blue that make me want to see red because they're so <laughs> good uh and that make me green with envy and and but at the same time, um, you know, heal my blackened heart. And um, so so what just happened is I, I threw you an ollie oop, and then you started just windmilling, but you kept windmilling, and now you landed, <laughs> and you're still windmilling the basketball around, and it's now traveling, and now the the other team has the ball. Yeah, well, you know what? I've got my <laughs> look. I've got my hands gripping the 
the the handlebars. I am white knuckling, and I'm ready to go into the next color here. So, um, talking about blue cards and ignoring Steven's declaration of me screwing up his transition, uh, I want to just talk about a couple things. I don't know where to start. Jeff, you got one in mind? Because I don't know where to start. I'm glad to see Prowess back on some commons. Yes. Yes. I, I normally like a big flying wall that, you know, it, this one's not really a wall. I don't know if Silent Observer in Limited that you'll want to spend four mana for a 1-5 flyer that doesn't do anything else. But you might. There's a, you know, with all the spirit tokens and a control deck, I think, uh, of, co- of course, is this would be a control deck card. But, um, yeah, you're going to pay four mana for a 1-5 a uh, very resilient creature that is also flying and is also a spirit itself. Yeah, it's a spirit. has the spirit synergies. That's true. Um, I think this card's going to be very good because I, I do feel like uh, there are some very aggressive decks possible in this limited, limited environment, even in sealed with so many aggressively costed powerful creatures, especially in uh, red and green, especially, especially, especially with the red, the werewolves in red and green, um, a lot of aggression, unchecked aggression. Um, talking about drawing a line in the sand here, cross this line. You do not also, dude, <laughs> Stormrider Spirit has some very terrible flavor text. So much of these cards have very terrible flavor text, I have to say. I'm disappointed with the flavor text in this set in a way that I've never been disappointed with flavor text before in my entire life. There are some that are very good, but for every good one, there's like three terrible ones. Yeah. I think like a B movie, some of them are so bad. They're like some of the names and some of the flavor text are just so bad that I'm, I'm actually enjoying it, <laughs> which is appropriate in a horror themed set. I think. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Thunder isn't all that follows lightning. I love it. <laughs> Right. Well, like one that I'm excited in blue that um, proves that you're going to need a bigger boat. If you like flipping over Delver, well, then get ready for his big brother with Aberrant Researcher. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. I like that they got the same artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it a lot. It's a very good card. Um, you, I mean, we, we, played, we played a 3-2 flyer for four <laughs> with no upside at times. Um in battle for Zendikar limited. Um, we weren't always happy about it, but we did play it. Um, and this just has the potential to be absolutely nuts. Uh, it's really, really good. It's uh, fun. It's super funny that instead of, Hey, I reveal the top card. That's great because not only did I just reveal an instant or sorcery, I just, I now I'm going to draw an instant or sorcery. Um, and with this one, no, it goes in your graveyard. You're going to reveal the top card, then put it in your graveyard. Right. Um, well, I guess you don't reveal it. You just put it in the graveyard where it becomes revealed. But then um, then you get a clock, a 5-4 flyer that doesn't have any other abilities except the ability to kill your opponent in four turns or less. <laughs> That's right. I'll be interested to try Stitchwing Scab. I just like graveyard interaction. It's uh, three and a blue, three one, zombie horror with flying, and you can pay one and a blue and discard two cards and return it to the battlefield tapped. Yeah, I kind of just like the fact that this might be the first luchador we've ever had in Magic: The Gathering. What nice! 
I'm pretty excited about that because, you know, a big wrestling fan. I uh, just love to see, you know, the luchadors represented. Uh, Lucha Libre is a very uh, respected form of professional wrestling, um, especially in Mexico. And, um, and it's nice to see uh, that group represented so that one of these days, you know, a luchador could be introduced to this game. And they could see Stitchwing Scab, and they go, here's a card that represents me. I am drawn to this game, and I want to play it more. You know, because we need more luchadors in Magic the Gathering. So this is an important card. I think it's an important card in the history of Magic the Gathering, and I like its ability. Um, I like that ability, I think, throughout the different zombies where you can uh, discard some cards to get them back to the battlefield. I kind of do really enjoy that um, overall. Um, I think that's cool. Like, I mean, two cards is a big cost, but... If sure. you've got madness cards, it's really not, you know, or if you've got things if you got if you're discarding another stitch wing scab, it's not exactly. Although you do eventually run out of two cards, you know. <laughs> there is yeah. a point where you and that's why this card isn't completely busted, because you do have to discard two cards as part of the cost. Mm-hmm. Um it would be really busted if it said blue and a white or blue and a white. Blue and one. Return this to the battlefield tapped then discard two cards it would be sure yeah that would be ridiculously busted putting it in the cost keeps the card fair and keeps you from being able to do this like literally every single turn so and if there's uh gosh if there's like any activated abilities that require delirium see this i think this set's going to teach people how the stack works pretty well because you can activate this cost and his ability will go on the stack your cards will be in the graveyard, and so will he. So let's say for some crazy reason you have like a land and an enchantment in your hand, um, and you've already put like an instant in the graveyard, and this guy's in the graveyard, you can discard that. You'll have delirium until his uh, activate ability resolves because nice. his activate ability will go on the stack. So like, there's a lot of cards like where you can play like stupid little games like that with delirium that it might hopefully teach people uh, how the stack works, or I could just use it to my advantage to people that don't know. And then explain to them how it worked afterwards. True. Um, the other thing to note about that ability is that it is not one of the abilities from the graveyard that says activate this ability only anytime you can cast a sorcery. Yep. So you can do this end of turn, discard your cards, get them back on the battlefield, untap, and swing for three. So it's pretty good. Considering that this dude has one toughness, I think they could have made him enter the battlefield not tapped but maybe in order to give us all the flexibility about when we could do it it had to come into play tapped well luchadors are known for their uh you know their high flying ability and for their speed um but not necessarily for their endure for their toughness um because they're typically smaller guys so um you know if you mismatch them with uh with like a big guy like a, a Ryback or a big show um they're going to they're going to you know they can they can do some damage but if they get their if 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 one of those guys gets their hands on them probably going to get crushed so he, this uh, guy does look like he's coming off the top rope or the corner yeah uh i guess i should maybe we just have to mention it sleep uh paralysis I yes. mean, it's just common um, semi-unconditional removal. Uh, they've really upped the cost of this <laughs> effect uh, from from uh, from the past, but it's uh, three and a blue enchantment aura. Uh, enchant creature when it enters the battlefield, tap enchant creature, and the enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So this is just basically a claustrophobia 
or narcolepsy, but you know, for one more mana or or two more mana in the case of narcolepsy. Don't call it containment membrane. Because that card doesn't friggin' tap something. Nope. It seems like the only time I ever have a containment membrane in my hand is when my opponent has a vigilance creature I want to deal with. Thank well, you, you don't have to worry about that with sleep paralysis. No, you don't. So I appreciate that. <laughs> right, and it's awkward that the one that costs three doesn't tap something. Um, the one that costs four does tap something. But by the time you have four mana to play sleep paralysis, don't worry. That big creature is tapped because it just attacked you. Yeah. But either way, it'll help. Either way, sleep paralysis and in limited, yeah, you're definitely you know you're uh, whatever your whatever your blue removal is, you have to play it in blue because you don't you don't get you're gonna you're gonna pick this over bounce spell number three or bounce spell number two every time. Yes, and the um, and the thrilling flavor text is sleep doesn't always mean rest. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Oh, man. Bad. But then uh, my job, my dream job at Wizards would be only flavor text. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this card doesn't really seem to really, really, really work that well. It doesn't I, I can fix it with the flavor text. Just let me try. Right. But, <laughs> but not that one. Right. Uh, I don't think you need to be sitting in an office in Renton, Washington to write flavor text. <laughs> Just bad. But, anyway. but I'm feeling this uh, ability... Um, the bottom card on the blue list, Furtive Homunculus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when you broadcast, you really want to be careful with how you pronounce your magic cards. I love, I love Skulk. It's a perfect name for a good evasive ability that is well bound. Uh, um, you know, it has some controls on it that uh, maybe too many controls. You know, two one that can only be blocked by creatures. With um, with powers of uh, equal to it or less. Unfortunately, the spirit tokens are going to keep Skulk maybe from from being um, a, a very good evasive ability. But I I like it. I, and the name is flavorful. And you know it's a it's a it's a realistic ability. And it's a it's it, in other words, it sounds it feels like it's an a, ability that's cheap enough that you can give it to creatures pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not going to totally break your game they don't have to charge me another colorless man or anything like that to give a guy skulk right are there any others here that we're excited about i'm not well i kind of like gone missing because gone missing it's a little expensive it's four and a blue and it's a sorcery put target permanent on top of its owner's library investigate the part i like there is permanent yeah. There's no restriction. It is just put target permanent on top of its owner's library, which is pretty neat. They don't give you the ability to mess with any uh, permanent, like including lands. They don't give you that ability too often. It's very often, 99% of the time these days, non-land permanent. But that is not true for Gone Missing. It is target permanent. So, so if someone gets way behind and you know and doesn't didn't get didn't get that third land or that fourth land, you might uh, you might hurt them. You might really hurt them, right? And I've done that before, and it's and it's punishing, and it just pretty much takes them out of the game. Like um, when I was playing against my opponent in round two of the Hunter Burton, they were stuck on three lands, and I cast an Ulamog, <laughs> exiling two of their three lands. Uh, that pretty much sealed the deal. <laughs> but so yeah, so anyway, like you know, messing with people's lands. If if you stumble, this is a great way to almost ensure that 
the opponent will never recover. It's a skillful card, and I like it. I doubt you know that you play. I, it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to justify the first one in sealed or draft. I don't know how easy it is to justify the second copy, but but um, but I like it. Yeah, sure. Um, one thing we didn't mention last week, we talked about compelling deterrence. I think last week, um, and it's a blue and one. It's an instant. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, and that player discards a card if you control a zombie. Do we want to control a zombie when we cast this or not? <laughs> like, is discarding a card, like, a benefit for us or for them? You know? Like, that's something I thought, I was like, wait a minute. I don't know about this. I gotta think about this again. Because that actually might be bad. We might actually want to cast Compelling Deterrence when we don't have a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> and and we can and now or if they're completely hellbent and we return a card that they'd have to then discard that might be a benefit right well whether it's good or not to discard i bet you i would my my impression is that compelling deterrence will mostly be cast without the caster having a uh, zombie in play yeah but um, you know, in a vacuum, I'll be, of course, I'll be, I think I'll be thrilled if when I can make a person discard, it'll just depend on what horrible things they've done to me in previous turns. Right. <laughs> or if they're tapped out. Right. You know, if they're tapped out, then it's not a cost at all. You know, then it's just because there's nothing that's madness zero in this set. But there's nothing cooler than, than, than the dude, uh, he doesn't have to be tapped out. He just doesn't have any cards in his hand. And, a lot of these cards for limited play, and particularly for booster draft, are so efficiently casted. They're not necessarily super powerful, but they're efficiently cast. They're efficiently costed, rather, that they're going to run out of cards in their hand. And compelling deterrence with a zombie in play is going to flat out kill something because it's going to bounce it, and then they're going to have to discard it because you have a zombie. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, and that's cool. Or you'll get blown out by madness in another situation when they have plenty of cards in hand and they have mana open. You just and at the same time you could be you could be enabling them for delirium. So here's here's my pet card: fleeting memories. Fleeting memories is a blue and two. It's an enchantment. It's an uncommon. When fleeting memories enters the battlefield, investigate. Whenever you sacrifice a clue. Target player puts the top three cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So here's where you can reach critical mass with the clues and just mill your opponent out. And now, remember, this says whenever you sacrifice a clue. It doesn't say whenever you activate the ability of sacrificing a clue. Right. Just when you sacrifice a clue. So if you've got, I don't know, Bound by Moon Silver and this, <laughs> you can just you can just have these both out, sacrifice all your clues to Bound by Moon Silver, and mill your opponent completely out. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to create clues, especially in blue. There's a lot of blue clue creators. Um, and I like Erdwall Illuminator as an engine for this deck. Uh, one in a blue, one three flying, spirit uncommon. Whenever you investigate for the first time each turn, investigate an additional time. So you've got the, you've got the start of a, of a real clue deck with a real payoff because Fleeting Memories is an uncommon, which means it's not entirely unlikely that you see this in a draft or in a sealed pool. Uh, you could very well see this card. And if you do, and if you've got the cards for it, I want to make it work. I'm determined to make it work. Let me just say three words to you, Jeff Zandy. 
Yes, sir. Full box sealed. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say, and you can take uh, any sort of uh, assumptions away from that that you want. I, well, I hope your Blue's Clues deck works. <laughs> I like it. If I wasn't already certain that there are like four different podcasts that didn't check with one another and all called their podcast episodes Blue's Clues, that would be the name of this week's episode. <laughs> they may. Or I may have not. no idea. I'm sure they may or may not have. Um, I think. I think I just want to move right on to black because I think all the cards in blue that uh, we would want to talk about in uh, constructed we've already talked about on previous episodes. Correct. Anyway, let's move right on to black. I just want to mention this card because I think it's very weird. Uh, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes is a black and two. It's an enchantment. It's an uncommon. Creatures you control have skulk. And then four and a white. What? Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So this is a really weird one uh, to me. I don't know why. It's like part enchantment that does little to nothing. It's part... But it could do a lot, though. I don't know. I think it's a callback to black-white tokens. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you swing with them after blocks are declared. You you pump your team. Right, yeah. so giving your creatures skulk is never helpful if your creatures are big. And it might not be help- – it, it's diminish- it, It's mostly helpful to your smaller guys. Right, right. That's Attack, don't get blocked, pump them up. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it, just, it just for some reason stuck out to me as a very odd card. But I guess it's not as odd as I thought it was. I want to talk about Olivia's Bloodsworn. Olivia's Bloodsworn is a black and one. It's a vampire soldier. It's 2-1 flying uncommon. It can't block. And then one red target vampire gains haste until end of turn. That's that's aggressive. That's <laughs> really good. That's that, that's what I could see, see uh, getting play in standard. Yeah, for real. Um, but that's a very aggressive two drop. Um, we've already talked about a couple of the best cards here: Sinister Concoction, Air of Falcon Wrath. Those are two of the best cards, I think. Um, talk about a talk about a common here, Stephen. Find a good common. Tell me about a good common. Oh, common. Oh, did you have an uncommon picked out? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Go on. All right. Uh, I mean, we indulge in Aristocrat, Black, 1-1, one, one, Lifelink, 2, Sacrifice Creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. Um, that seems pretty good. I also like Call of the Bloodline just because it seems like that's the, the deck. Black, red, vampire madness is yeah. is one of the themes. So it's a one and a black for an enchantment. Uh, pay one colorless, discard a card, put a 1-1 one, one black vampire knight creature token with Lifelink onto the uh, battlefield. Uh, but you can only activate the ability once each turn. But, you know, you can activate once your turn, activate once uh, during your opponent's turn. True. And Madness cards, it doesn't matter when you discard them. Like, they, you can cast them, even if it's a creature, right? Uh, I believe so, yes. Anytime. Anytime you discard. So, uh, creatures correct, get flashed now. Um, so I was doing something else. Please ask me again. Okay. Madness costs, right. regardless of the speed of the original card, when you discard it, it doesn't matter when you discard it. You can That's pay that correct. madness cost, and you can play a creature at flash. You can play a sorcery at instant speed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So this is that, that's very useful. I have the magic comprehensive rules open and was studying madness earlier today. 
Nice. Yeah. So yeah, that makes a card like Murderous Compulsion a lot better. So yeah, and and the fact yeah, and the fact that this ability doesn't say any time you can uh, cast a sorcery makes it very good. The call yeah. on ability. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Murderous Compulsion is one in a black sorcery, destroy target tapped creature. It also has Madness of one in a black, so you can get it going at instant speed if you have a way to discard a card. I like that art a lot. It's very creepy. Yeah, Rancid Rats. That's going to be. I can't believe this costs two now, but it has Skulk, I guess, for however much marginal value that's worth. It's just one in a black for a zombie rat with Skulk and Death Touch. It's one one. I like that as a common. Yeah. I just like the I just like the low drop Death Touch creatures in my mid range or control decks. Well, yes, that's true. Um, it's weird that it has the Skulk though. It almost seems unnecessary. Yeah, because, like it's very counterintuitive what you would want to do with a card like this in terms of like if you were attacking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it can only be blocked by the things you wouldn't want. I think that just I think that's just going to train you to not attack with your death touch creatures, which you shouldn't be. So I think that's kind of what that is. It's like, look, you really don't want to attack with this because they're just going to block with a one power creature. Just leave it back to block. Just leave but it's yeah. a tiny bit of it's a tiny bit of evasion um, in weird situations late in games when you got that guy down to one, but it's been many turns and you haven't figured out a way to get the last point. Yeah, true. Yeah, and I think they just wanted to not make this one black. <laughs> so they're just like, well, what can we add to make it marginally better? Uh, Skulk. Right. <laughs> you got one yet, Jeff? Yeah, I sure do. Awesome. Uh, I like a cursed witch. It's an uncommon. It flips. Uh, put Maleficent into play. Uh, that's what the artwork looks like. <laughs> I think Angelina Jolie actually should uh, eat a little bit more. I don't want to, I'm not body shaming. <laughs> I'm not judging, but um, uh, a cursed witch. Uh, it comes from <laughs> it comes from a long line of spending one black and three for four two, uh, going back to uh, giant cockroach and beyond. <laughs> but this one um, has uh, has a lot of other things going on. I love this card. Says, please, please punch me in the face. I dare you. <laughs> I want you to hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> Spells your opponent's cast that would target a cursed witch cost one less to cast <laughs> uh, because it's not hard enough out there for a 4-2 creature to stay alive. When the witch dies, return it to the battlefield transformed. You control it, but it comes to, it be, when it's transformed, it becomes a enchantment or a curse. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we put curses on our opponents, but um, we don't it's kind of interesting how it was confusing when we first had curses that people didn't really know where do I put them on the board? Well, you can put them across the, across the Mason Dixon line if you want to on their side of the field. But I think it might be more proper to put them close to the edge because these are still your enchantments. You control them. They just happen to be enchanting your opponent. And in this case, it makes spells that you would play that target, the year enchanted player cost one less. That's interesting. That's an interesting bonus for the rest of the game. And every turn they lose a life and you gain a life. And the, the wording doesn't, doesn't seem intuitive. If you get confused and think that somehow this enchantment is something your opponent reads every turn, it isn't, it's your enchantment, but it's doing something nasty to your opponent every turn. That's really cool. I like it. So it's double duty on a four, two that might beat, this the, she might beat down and and she's gonna beat down because uh you're uh she's a she's a very good savings bond 
that um, that gives you payoff early when they don't have blockers, and then when they kill it, uh, you know it's it's going to be hard on them. They can't just let a four two come through, so they're going to have to kill it when they are able to. But they're going to take damage continuously for the rest of the game once that once they do kill it. So I'm not I don't know about a first pick in a draft, but in black you're going to play a cursed witch whenever you have it. Macabre Waltz gets a lot better in this set. It's a reprint. It's a black and one sorcery. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand, then discard a card. Um, a lot of times that just wasn't a great effect, and especially if you have no cards in hand and you top deck Macabre Waltz, usually that makes the card kind of really crappy. But being able to return two creatures from your graveyard, one of them has madness, you discard the one with madness and you cast it, and then all of a sudden you are getting you're just returning two creatures for two mana which in recent history is a very efficient rate for that ability that's true uh frankly um i'm liking the black a little bit more than the blue for limited i think so, yeah too. at first glance <laughs> even though the, the white seemed very solid mm-hmm, very in a, in a very normally white way other than you're getting a little bit more uh fly benefit with the spirit tokens and then blue I would definitely, I would kind of put have put lesser than white, and then the black takes me right back to a good place again if for limited, or you know maybe I'm just finding a lot of easy plays, but uh, it's good to have easy plays in your deck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know we're not, we haven't talked about a ton of cards from from black, but uh, like I said, that's because we talked about a couple of the best ones already. Um, two more I just want to mention real quick: Pale Rider of Trostad. Um, is one in a black. It's a 3-3 three, three with Skulk, which again, Skulk isn't the best ability on a 3-3, three, three, but a 3-3 three, three for 2 is very good. And um, when Pale Rider of Trostad enters the battlefield, discard a card. So you've got the potential to really get some value out of this because you're already casting a very efficiently costed uh, beefy creature, and then you're getting you know the, the possibility of... Uh, triggering madness at the same time so let's say you play this with five mana out you pl- play the pale rider of trostad and then you discard the other card that i'm going to mention uh gissa's bidding i don't want to pronounce it the other way um uh, but wu-tang is here forever um it's uh two black and two it's a sorcery uncommon put two 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 black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield madness of two and a black so you know for five mana you're getting seven power and seven toughness across three bodies you know you obviously have the dream scenario of having both these cards in your hand but i'm just giving an example uh i thought you might go with uh twins of mara estate that one black and four for a three five that's boy this is more like a sealed deck you know kind of creature sure sure with the uh, two little girls from The Shining, they're vampires, <laughs> and that uh, you know would cost your, would cost your whole turn and spend five mana. But otherwise, you play a black and one, and you for a three one that makes you discard something. You discard this um, madness triggers, and then you choose to pay a black and two to put this three five in play. And you know you did two things in one turn instead of one thing in one turn. Yeah. Reminds me how we were playing the three, um, the three two uh, menace creature for uh, surge. It kind of reminds me of what we were doing mm. with surge in the last couple of months. 
Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Or or trying to do with Surge, but then only ever having all Surge cards in your hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> more, 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 more of my experience with Surge. Uh, the the only other thing with Pale Rider is that uh, it doesn't say sacrifice it unless you discard a card. So if it is the last creature you play, you just get the 3-3 three, three for 2. That's good. Nice. Because it enter, enters the battlefield, discard a card. Right. Wow. Every so important cool. interaction note today has come from Steven, and I just want to make sure that we recognize that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's another good one. Kindly Stranger is, like, really, really good for <laughs> for the Delirium deck, but that's just kind of goes without saying. It's, it's an uncommon. Two and a black, two, three, creature, human, Delirium. You can pay two and a black to transform Kindly Stranger. It becomes Demon-Possessed Witch, which is a four, three, but when this creature transforms into Demon-Possessed Witch, you may destroy target creature. That's just kind of obscene. <sighs> yeah, that's, that is completely absurd. Um, the artwork is great. <laughs> I love, yeah. I love the artwork on the demon possessed, which side of it. Um, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's like, rah, I mean, even scared. Like when I, when I flip the card on the, on the mothership, I'm like, Oh, no, click it back. Click it back. Ugh, I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. One. This is, uh, you know, the librarian from ghostbusters or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, uh, any cards here, uh, Stephen, for uh, limited? I mean, Relentless Dead is, or for constructed, Relentless Dead is an obvious one. Yeah, um, Relentless Dead's obvious. I think we might have talked about Diagraph Colossus, but if not, obviously, yeah, woo, zombies, love them. Um, that's all I, I, I was really. What about Asylum Visitor? But I was thinking okay, about Okay, that one's card. really good. Okay, I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, Asylum Visitor is obviously really good in a constructed vampires deck. Uh, one in a black for a vampire wizard, 3 1. And at the beginning of each player's upkeep, if that player has no cards in hand, you draw a card and lose one life. And it has Madness, one in the black. So there's a lot of vampire cards that can uh, interact with the Madness mechanic. And this one's about as good of one that you could hope to use. I love the fact that like, if you're hellbent on your opponent's turn, you draw a card. Oh, oh, that, oh that, that player. Play. Oh, never mind. Okay. If that player has no cards in hand... That's you too, though. Right. So, so you could potentially draw two cards a turn with this, or two cards every turn cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a way to do it, but there's no way to really game it super well. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, but I like it a lot. I think it's really good. Getting those extra cards. Um, what was the card that never actually worked out from uh, from Ravnica, Return to Ravnica block? Oh, the one with Inspired? No. No, it was the zombie one. It was the two-drop, two-one. Gosh, I can't even remember. I don't remember, but it sucked. Yeah, I thought... It would be good, but it really sucked. This this seems like it could be better, but who knows? This might actually also just suck. Well, this is a three-one for two, which is even better, so... Yeah, it's got madness, which interacts favorably with some of these black and red cards. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, cool. Let's, uh, Let's hit up red. Fiery Temper, we've already talked about, but that's probably one of the better yeah, commons. Kind of goes without saying. Um, yeah, I've dream. I, it's my it's my favorite returning card in the whole set, and um, I just I, it's just as soon as I see it, I'm trying to figure out how can I get three of them, how can I get four of them, and you're not going to be able to get that many. No, nope. it's too beloved in draft, and um, you know you're just not going to be that lucky when you're opening boosters for sealed. Although you are opening six boosters of the same set. And so, uh, and since we no longer have tournament packs, 
which would have discouraged or eliminated the ability to get duplicates. At least you're opening six separate booster packs, each one of which could have a fiery temper, and uh, so will your opponent if you start just uh, discarding every turn and and uh, lightning bolting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably not good enough, but I just like the fact that Pyrehound, it's uh, three and a red for a two, three, uh, trample, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, so it has like super prowess. But the only problem is that you've already, it's like a four drop, so it's kind of hard to have a whole lot of instant or sorceries to really abuse that with. Mm-hmm. Right, but I am already thinking about how to put together a fast red black draft deck, and I would, I would definitely stretch to Pyrehound and, um, in a deck with uh, 13 creatures and 10 instants and sorceries, essentially. Yeah. That are going to all definitely cost four or less. So um, so I like that play. We got the Magmatic Chasm reprint. <laughs> Amazing. That's pretty That nasty. also sounds like a Wu-Tang card to me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Let's see. Reduced to Ashes. It's kind of expensive. I mean, that's going to get played. Oh. You're going to play that. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. It's just kind of expensive for the, what it does. Yeah, it's just uh, interesting that you get two common kind of removal spells in red. Yeah. And uh, what about dual shot? Have we exactly had this before? I don't think we have. For one red, mm. instant speed, deal one damage to each of two target creatures. No, we have not. I don't think so. Have to have two targets. Of course, it doesn't, you know, doesn't go to the face. But, um, uh, but You don't have to have two. It's each of up to. Oh, uh, each of up to. Oh, well, that's you know definitely even better. Yeah. But, of course, I mean, again, there's a limited amount of cards that only deal one damage that you can afford to play in your deck. Right. But, um, uh, <laughs> and, and now, and the math is complicated in this set for limited. Um, is, are two spirit tokens equal to one card, or did they still get ahead of you because they didn't pay, they didn't, they didn't trade a card to put spirit tokens in play but you just traded dual shot to get rid of two spirit tokens you're no better than even maybe right but i think there might be I, i'm looking at a fair amount of one toughness in uh-huh. this set. not more just than usual tokens not just tokens yeah exactly there are there are one toughness creatures uh in almost every color and uh and i think that the card could have some value i i think it really it might be more of a sideboard card in limited but I think it's one that you'll wind up sideboarding in more often than not. And when you just slide your finger across the page to uh, to the white card, that that ugly looking dog, that three one Cathar's companion that mm. gets uh, indestructible whenever you play a non creature spell. Uh, obviously, he just that 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 ugly dog is going to go great with all combat tricks. Right. Absolutely. It's also funny that you, I guess, you can't kill Cathar's companion with dual shot. Uh, I mean, yourself, your opponent. Yeah, you can't, you can't put your own old yeller down. <laughs> you, just, you just made him mad and indestructible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of one toughness creatures, this card's probably going to be obnoxious and an aggressive red-black vampire kind of madness deck. Uh, Blood mad vampire, two and a red, four one, with and and whenever. It deals damage, uh, combat damage to a player. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and its madness cost is one in red, which is kind of, kind of ridiculous. Yeah. If you get that out early enough, that's pretty ridiculous. I think so too. Uh, highly leveraged, but good. Mm-hmm. You could play insolent neonate. Uh, turn yeah. one. 
which is one red. It's a vampire. has menace. It's a 1-1. One, one. Discard a card. Sacrifice insolent neonate. Draw a card. So you can play this on turn one. Swing, get that one damage in. And then discard your blood mad vampire. Cast it for its madness cost. And then, you know, get the cantrip off the neonate. That's a pretty nasty first two turns right there. These are complicated and interesting and skillful uh, interactions at the common level. And, uh, you know, that speaks towards, uh, towards an entertaining and skill-intensive limited format. One that I am really looking forward to playing in Albuquerque. Yeah, it looks like they, they just decided to go for it in terms of, like, we just want to make the, like, <laughs> the most interesting limited format we can because we're just like, eh, screw it. We're going to put Madness at common. That's just, we're just going to do that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just in case Howlpack Wolf doesn't make the cut into – doesn't make the leap into Constructed, <laughs> which it won't. Uh, and so uh, – right. So it, it's um, really entertaining. I just see just so many entertaining cards for Limited. This set may turn off some people that mostly play Constructed and then just keep seeing a million cards that look uh, crappy to them. But if you play Limited – I would say if you play limited, I'm seeing a higher percentage of uh, of playables. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of limited playables, the card I'm really excited about is uh, Skin Invasion. Have you read this card yet? It's uh, one red. It's an enchantment aura. Uh, it's an uncommon. It's an enchant creature. Enchanted creature attacks each combat if able. When enchanted creature dies, returns Skin Invasion to the battlefield transformed under your control. And it transforms into Skin Shedder, which is a 3-4 insect horror that you basically paid one red for, which is really crazy. Exactly. I uh, I think it's really good. I mean, because you've got different ways you can do this. Um, You can put this on, like, a creature that would normally just get chump blocked and killed like a, um, like, what's that, 5-2? there's a 5-2 in here. Uh, it's just this kind of a stupid card. The Hulking Devil, it's a 5-2 for a red and three. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating playing this card, you know. But, like, a body like that, where it's, like, very fragile, but if it gets through, it deals a lot of damage. Um, you know, you can slap this on your own Hulking Devil and just beat in. And then they're like, well, we either lose a creature and then get a 3-4 to deal with the next turn. Um, or you can put this on your opponent's creature that, like, they, um, you know, you can't put it on, like, a tapper. You know what I mean? You can't put it on, like, a, a creature with, like, a tap ability because then they'll just tap it, right? Yeah. Because it says... It yeah, has to die. It's not one of those, uh, if it doesn't attack, sacrifice it. If it was that, it'd be even better. But we can't get everything we want in life, right? Um, so you got to put it on a creature that maybe is back to block or or something that they're just trying to not swing. They're waiting for the right time to swing in or maybe they want to transform their creature. You put it on there and you're like, nope, you don't get to. You have to swing with it and uh, I'm going to kill it and then I get a 3-4. You know? yeah, there's a lot of sacrifice effects that you're going to use yourself. And um, the bottom line is you're going to figure out ways to spend one red to get a 3-4. Yeah. Pretty awesome. And it'll, it'll be a terrible top deck on an uh, empty board, but it, you know, but I think it could be worth the risk. Agreed. Steven, you got any other ones here in, uh, in Limited? 
Uh, I mean, just the malevolent whispers that three and a red sorcery gain control target creature until end of turn. On top of that creature, it gets plus two, plus zero. Um, but it has a madness cost of three and a red. So anytime you can like instant speed, do something crazy like that. Um, yeah, that's very good. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of any instant. Uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember the, the name for that normal effect, but uh, especially the fact that it pumps just the power. Yeah. So it's more likely that you can get like the the two for one with it. Right. Because you could take their one of their creatures and actually it'll be able to, you know, if it has an uneven power and toughness ratio, you can get its power up to the point where they'll both kill each other. Right. Which is just kind of crazy. Right. Um, I also like the fact that now we know why Stephen Colbert quit the Colbert Report to host The Tonight Show. So the story, that mystery has been solved. We didn't need any clues to figure that out. <laughs> But I did totally steal that from a, from a Twitter post. Um, so I take no credit for that. But uh, it's pretty good. Anything here in uh, Constructed you're excited about? I'm um, not excited about playing against Avison's Judgment. <laughs> just because, again, it's going to interact really well with Jace. Um, that's just a very powerful effect. Avison's Judgment, one in red for sorcery. And it deals two damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players. But it has a madness cost of X in red, and if you pay the madness cost, it deals X damage divided as you choose among those creatures and or players instead. That's ridiculous. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's insane. It's like rolling thunder, but for one red less. That's stupid. At, yeah. At instant you, speed. Yeah. yeah, at instant speed if you can trigger the madness. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> do you do you love Gold Knight Castigator or do you hate it? I like it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's a four mana flyer. Oh, I'm sorry. It's two red, red, four nine, flying haste. Four nine. Yeah. So I mean, that just seems great. I don't know what. Yeah. If a source would deal damage to you, it deals double that damage to you instead. So that's not so hot. Um, <laughs> but it, and if a source would deal damage to Gold Knight Castigator, it deals double that damage to Gold Knight Castigator instead. So really, this five. isn't just a four nine. It's a four four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's a four power flyer with haste for four so i'll take it mm-hmm. now with multiple ones of these it's still just double damage right 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 so it doesn't double the double damage there's no like so you know this is good in multiples <laughs> uh you just get a bunch of them out and then they can't really get through and they can't really kill them hopefully did we talk about sin prodder last week no but uh i'm lukewarm on it really yeah, I don't want a three two for three, and uh, although with menace, uh, that's almost just barely. No, no, not for three. Um, and then I hate. I don't like punisher mechanics, so I'm going to assume it's not good, but I'll try it and then find out for sure. Right on. Well, I know you'll try it. <laughs> at least you've, at least you've been clear about that because you will try this card. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, cool. So let's get into green and then wrap this up because I have to leave for work in like ten minutes. Um. All right, Pee-wee. <laughs> Uh, we got our mythic in in green. It's seasons past. <laughs> uh, we got two though. We got the Olvenwald Hydra too, which is pretty good. Um, they both cost six mana. Um, the Hydra's better, I think. Uh, Hydra is star star reach. Its power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card. Land card, not basic land. Land card. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So whatever amount of lands you had when you cast this, you got one more. And uh, it's pretty solid. 
solid. I mean, obviously in limited, it's great. I'm I'm talking about, you know, maybe for uh, constructed. Commander. Constructed, sure, no, fine. It's it's constructed playable, I think. Uh, if you're playing a green ramp deck, which there would be one post rotation for sure. You know, it ramps you. It's it's big. It has big, and it's pretty good. Seasons past is ridiculous. Can I? I'll just read it. Uh, it's a four two green sorcery. Return any number of cards with different converted mana costs from your graveyard to your hand. Put Seasons Past on the bottom of its owner's library. What? How weird is that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't know. A lot of business. It's It may be, or maybe none, depending on what you got in your graveyard. Kind of strange. I, I mean, I, this could be like a... I guess I could control... I don't, I don't you know. You cast Double Green in a control deck. Tell me when that's going to happen. Blue-Green control. Okay. Madness. When's the last time that was a deck? Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. It's all about the future right now. That's right. That's right. What excites you on this page here? Anyone. Anybody. Okay, I want to talk about one that feels uh, nostalgic to me, nostalgic back to Innistrad uh, from a from a extremely personally focused flavor perspective. Uh, Solidary Hunter will add to um, – I'm still thinking about the Hunter Burton Memorial – will add to the 47 before the new set comes out. In a week, uh, the 47 magic cards that have Hunter uh, in the name of the card. Nice. Either the first word or the second word. Um, but Solitary Hunter, uh, a green and three for a common. You know, uh, the common flip cards are, um, you know, less uh, ordinary. You don't see as many of them. You get a three, four, and it's got the old fashioned Innistrad flip ability of mm-hmm. if nobody played a spell, then transform it. And its transform side is a monstrous 5-6 werewolf that will flip back to human if one person plays two spells. Right. It's pretty Which good. will be only a downside you would never want to, unless for some reason you needed a human again. Right, right. Human, warrior, werewolf, scout, soldier, knight. <laughs> A lot of creature types on these cards. But it illustrates that even though the, the, the set does set up in limited to be kind of slow, um, you know, that I mean, just it's just it, and it, it's an illustration of power creep in a funny way, because um, uh, three, four for four would have been a good creature once upon a time. And now this guy is as vanilla as he comes, other than he has an entirely different card right on the printed on the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's, that's way better. Yep. And that creature, and you don't, but it's cool that you don't have to do anything. You don't, there's no additional purchase required. Uh, you don't spend anything or sacrifice any cards or do anything to have suddenly a five, six. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, simple and yeah, it's a filler card in limited, but, um, but it's one that is uh, going to be solid and dependable. I think that with uh, spirit tokens being uh, all over the place as they are in this set, I think that Clip Wings might be the worst plummet ever printed in Magic the Gathering history. <laughs> That's really bad. Um, I want to talk about Tarmogoyf Jr. Uh, Moldgraf Scavenger. Moldgraf Scavenger is one in a green. It's a creature fungus. It's an O4. It's a common. And it has Delirium. It gets plus three, plus zero if you have Delirium. 
So it's a 3-4 for 2. Speaking of 3-4s for 4 being good in the past. Um, It's a 3-4 for 2 if you have Delirium. If it were a 1-5, it would be modern playable. (laughs) But it is not. And that's that's probably a good reason for that. (laughs) Because I don't think they want people to have access to 8 Tarmogoyfs for their deck. But this is still a solid solid replacement. It is not Tarmogoyf, which makes me sad because I was hoping they'd reprint it for the set. And they have not. So, oh well. Right, but certainly good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to run through a couple really quick. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, just, you know, keeping on the, the meat and the potatoes, the basics. Uh, the common removal spell in green is Rabid Bite. One, a green sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. That's a big improvement from the fight cards we've had recently. Mm-hmm. Um, almost as good as Fall of the Hammer, I think. From, Actually, uh, it's... Exactly. No, that was an instant. This is a sorcery. Oh, that was an instant. Okay. Yeah, and it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so this is this is a big improvement from some of the fight cards we had in um, Battle for Zendikar. Um, so green's got something to work with here. Uh, That's a removal spell. That's good. At uncommon. Uh, you know the the ability doesn't look great, but just uh, keep in mind what you're getting. Uh, Graph mole for two and a green. You get a two four, and whenever you sacrifice a clue, you gain three life. That's just all upside for. a a two four for three at uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a really good card. It is right, uh, and that's very good because because that's my concern with clues is uh, you know will I ever make them valuable to me without having to spend the mana and draw the card? And this guy does that. Although the decks that will have clues in play and green mana, you know, might be fewer. Um, let's see. I, I also like. Uh, Kessig Dire Swine for green green for a six six. That's just big for common. Uh, but that's what green typically gets. And you know, delirium, it gets trample. That's just gonna be bigger than most anything anyone's doing. Like I think blue has an, an equivalent creature, but it dies if it attacks or blocks. Or it uh it can only attack if you have delirium or something like that. I can't even remember the the card. Um Veteran Cathar seems just I like I like value. You're getting a two two for for one in a green. And then it's a human soldier, and you pay three and a white, and target human gains double strike until end of turn. And then uh, in terms of the delirium engine, if you if you happen to be in these colors, uh, it's weird that green at uncommon gets these like all these weird multicolored uh, activation abilities. But uh, the other card I wanted to look at was uh, autumnal autumn autumnal autumnal gloom autumn autumnal gloom. <laughs> Two and a green a for an enchantment. This is yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, two and a green for an enchantment, and it has an activated ability, black. Put the top card of your library into your graveyard, and it has delirium at the beginning of your end step. If there are four more card types, blah, 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 you transform it, and it becomes Ancient of the Equinox, which is a creature tree folk with 4-4, four, four, trample, and hexproof. And it's just a really good delirium engine and enabler. Mm-hmm. Payoff and enabler, yeah, so... But you gotta be in black and green to even consider probably playing that, unless you're just a straight up delirium deck. Great. Uh, I think we're just out of time. So uh, any green cards you're excited about for uh, standard besides the Death Cap Cultivator? Because I think that's gonna be pretty good in standard. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I'll try to make Second Harvest work. It won't, but I'll try. <laughs> right on. That, hey, that lets you double your clues. Oh, no! <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Wow. Yep. yep. 
I'll let you double up your clues, man. Oh, there you get settled. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what about um, I like uh, Cryptolith Rite. Um, Cryptolith Rite is one in a green. It's a enchantment. It's a rare creatures you control have tap. Add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Now, the thing I want to mention about this card that I brought up when somebody was talking about it on the uh, CGG Magic Players uh, Facebook group is that this lets your Scions add two mana. Oh, snap! So you play this enchantment, you tap all your Scions for mana, then you sacrifice all your Scions for mana, somebody gets a Ferrari. Yep. Yeah, that's, so, that's a thing. Yeah, so I don't, know, I don't know what you do with that, but yeah. Question marks, profit. So... You know, good stuff. Uh, there's something. There's something you can do with that. Somebody break that, please. It's the worst card in multiples. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> it's a really awful card in. Multiples. Would have been better if it was, an ele- if it was a legendary enchantment. <laughs> right, right. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Okay, and then I'm going to throw a funny one in. This isn't good, but it's funny. All right. That you're going to play. Um, I know. I know. We're short on time. You're going to play Fork in the Road, and of course. We all know when you you know reach a fork in the road, you're supposed to take it. So uh, that uh, that I don't think that'll be a good advice for booster draft. <laughs> One in a green. Search your library for up to two basic land cards and reveal them. Sounds good so far. Put one in your hand. Oh, okay. Does the other one go into play? No. Uh, tear it in half. Put it in your graveyard and spit on it. Well, that's weird. That's kind of strange. No, you put the second one in your graveyard and shuffle your library, and then uh, and then uh, you complete the uh, you complete your play the next turn or maybe the same turn by spinning a green and two for Stoic Builder. And you get this hunky, not particularly scholarly-looking gentleman that's a 2-3. When he enters the battlefield, you can return a target land from your graveyard to your hand. And in the picture, it looks like he's dragging some wood back. It's like, oh, my God, I just just walked a mile and a half from the graveyard, and here's the damn land that you threw in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's your Jeff Zandi super combo of the day <laughs> i like it very nice um we didn't mention the cycle of uh, rare lands in this set um the port town which is blue white choked estuary which is blue black foreboding ruins which is black red game trail which is red green fortified village which is green white all of them say when they enter the battlefield you may reveal a you know, swamp or mountain, for instance, for foreboding ruins. You may reveal a swamp or mountain card from your hand. If you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped. So otherwise, enters the battlefield untapped. Pretty good set. Pretty good set, and they actually play very nice with the battle for Zendikar lands. So pretty to sweet. An yeah. No, they're pretty sweet. So yeah, they don't. They don't enable the battle for Zendikar lands to come into play untapped themselves, but they do allow you to play these untapped at the cost of revealing a battle for Zendikar lands. Oh, these are good. And they're going to take the sting out of everyone going back to playing maybe, maybe two colors, maybe a third color. But, uh-huh. but it, you know, um, as people, as reality sets in that the decks won't all seem like they're the same because they can all reach, you know, three and four colors. It's going to be nice uh, to uh, tighten tighten up the uh, standard format a little bit. Yeah, it's like the exact kind of standard format I enjoy playing in, and it's the exact moment I quit Magic. So, 
Good on me, everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I think that's about it. There are some artifacts. They're good or bad. Mostly bad. Figure it out. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> One rare equipment, two uncommon equipment, and two common equipments. I kind of like the two uncommons. Yeah. But nice. Yeah, on. me too. Cool. All right, great. Well, I think we've had a great show, and... Um, you know, thanks again uh, to Zach for appearing on the show, and uh, thanks to uh, Jeff uh, for both appearing on the show and for uh, hosting a wonderful tournament uh, this past weekend. Um, can't wait to do it again next year, even if it means the same result. I'll throw my money at it, and I will scrub out one three with a smile on my face. So awesome having you on the show. Uh, still want to talk to you about uh, – we can talk about – your March Madness, uh, because you should be done it by the time we get to Albuquerque, right? That's right. Well, of course. Yep. Um, we're, we're, we made the Sweet 16. We're about a week behind the men's basketball tournament, and there have been a lot of surprises. And uh, But in, in the next week, I'll be able to tell you what the best set is in modern um, and uh, from, a, from, a, uh, from a pure, a, a pure uh, hands-on, non-esoteric, uh, position. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, we'll talk about that in Albuquerque because that'll be a fun one to like, just kind of shoot the breeze about uh, while we're there. I think I can cool. hardly wait to get on the bus with you. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be great. Only twelve hours. No biggie. I only wish Stephen were joining us. Yeah, me too. He's he's got Won't. plenty of reasons not to though, and and valid ones at that. So, oh well. Uh, but it's been fun. And, uh, Steven, are you, are you, you're not going to play any pre-releases this weekend, are you? Is it this weekend? It's this weekend. Oh, I'm going to play a ton of Are you? Oh yeah, I was working overtime. Great. Awesome. Because I'm not playing in any, cause I've got WrestleMania weekend. So I'm going, I'm counting on you All right. to, to, uh, have some pre-release, uh, information to talk about because I don't have a clue. I won't have a clue. So Sweet. cool. Awesome. So, uh, Thanks again for listening uh, to this pro preanta penultimate episode of UMTG Taps. And until next time, stop bitching, start brewing. Yeah, yeah, we're on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, the album's already done. Yeah, yeah, collect the funds before we do these shows. Gotta go on a press run. Yeah, yeah, we're on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, the album's already done. Yeah, yeah, collect the funds before we do these shows. Gotta go on a press run. Yo, the rhyme pays more eyes once I rhyme through the doors. Yo, MTG Taps is available every Friday on LegitMTG.com, IWantMyMTG.com, MTGCast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, BrainLink, Telegraph, and via Passenger Pigeon at PigeonCast.com. Questions, comments, or free sticker requests that I will hopefully one day get around to can be sent to yomtgtabs at gmail.com. The intro music is the song Press Run by the amazing Baltimore MC You'll Never Know and is produced by W. Additional background music produced by Logic Marsalis. Purchase all of their music at magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. That's magnetic with a K. Seriously, purchase all of their music. Find us on Twitter and Facebook to guarantee infinite happiness forever. 
Finally, make sure to check out my weekly limited stream, Head Games with Big Head Joe, every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash legitmtg. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.